Die Hard versus Star Wars. Oh, Jesus. I forgot about this. You know what? It might actually take the rest of the episode. (laughs) Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of the Zencast is brought to you by NatureBox. Go to naturebox.com slash Zencast to get 50% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome to the Zencast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And uh, today, uh, we are going to start on our March Madness. Let the games The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. You're excited. Feel these nipples. Oh, um, yeah. Last week, we we got the bracket. We told you all the movies that we're going to be talking about, what the matchups were, and all that. So today, we're going to do the four play-in games. Yep. And we're going to do the North region. Yep. And you can look at this bracket on where, Barrett? Uh, we've got an Imgur page that you can go to. Uh, click on it. It'll enlarge however you want it to enlarge. Uh, you can print it out. Um, you can play along as you go. Uh, yeah, that's that's. Where it'll to be get it. in the. It's in the description under last week's and probably this episode yeah. um, on SoundCloud. And what okay. we'll do, we'll uh, we'll post the bracket as it is. We're not going to update it each week because then that would give away what our picks are. So. Uh, we'll just have uh-huh, a blank Pixar. 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 So today we're going to do just the first matchups, right? Yep. We're not going to get a final four. Oh, no. Participate yeah. by oh, no, the no, time no. this is just a- round one game. So we're just yeah, going to yeah. do round one. Yep. Play in uh, games and then round one. That's right. So um, our play in games, as uh, as a reminder, in the North region, we have Rushmore versus Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Nice. Vying for the 16 seed to play against jaws we mm. have in the south region the departed versus close encounters in the third kind <laughs> all these things sound insane <laughs> what all these matchups sound insane they are saying. insane they're, awesome. they're fucking insane <laughs> Uh, in the South region, we have The Departed versus Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the winner of which will play Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Field of Dreams and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The winner will play Children of Men. And Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers against All the President's Men uh, to play Back to the Future when wow. all is said and none. Wow. Now, we're going to do the four play-in games yep. today, and we're going to do the North region's first round. So... Mm-hmm. First ones, things first things first, since we're in the North region, Rushmore versus Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so <laughs> this is still probably what I call the best Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's his best complete movie. Fantastic Mr. Fox comes close for mm-hmm. me. I really like uh, Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonlight Kingdom's good too, but it's <laughs> kind of a porno, so just careful on your Googling. Um, but Ed uh, Norton is great in that, though. Yeah, he is. He's always good in porn. <laughs> uh, this is this is the movie that introduced me to Jason Schwartzman, mm-hmm. um, and I think he steals the show. Yeah, uh, from Bill Fucking Murray. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which who holds his own and does a great job. Uh, 
But uh, this movie was on a few weeks ago, and I watched a good part of it again, and it, it just holds up really, really well as an unexpected rivalry, romantic rivalry between a, a young teenager and uh, a really old, depressed guy. Well, and Rushmore is, it doesn't have a lot of these dated 90s references in mm-hmm. it or anything like that. It, it, it feels like it could happen at any time. The, all the different things that are that are in it i mean this is just more about human relationships and Mm how and the absolute this is a wes anderson staple these delusional characters who are in there in there in this and jason schwartzman as max fisher is he's super delusional like it's amazing how delusional he is uh and it and it really serves that movie well Mm -hmm. like um because it really opens it up for anything to happen Mm -hmm. That scene where he's talking to Bill Murray and he's he's at his mom's uh, grave mm. and uh, and he's like, "Why'd you t- call me out here?" He's like, "Well, I was going to get that tree to fall on you right there." He's like, <laughs> and, and he's like, "It would have smashed me like a pancake." And he's like, "Yeah, well." And he's like, "Why didn't you do it?" And he goes, "Well, what does it matter? She loves you and all that." And you know, he's in love with the Olivia Williams teacher character and everything. And Bill Murray actually gets to go out with her and yeah. Um, but by the time the scene is over and Max has left, the tree falls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it really just goes to show, man, this guy is like super freaking dangerous, he man. He's, you know, he got a he got a an idea in his head about this teacher and he and he really wants it to happen so bad that he actually thinks it's you know happening well he makes everything else happen in the movie you know with all these clubs that he's forming his longevity at rushmore Mm -hmm. and everything that he is this guy that can make shit get done yeah and you think you know what are the limits to this they're part way through building that goddamn aquarium when brian cox (laughs) figures out what's going on like i mean look how far he got yeah before they even knew what was happening and this it's a great thing too when and when he comes out and he finally like Get, runs into him in the baseball field and starts yelling at him and everything max he goes he goes he's like sir i really wouldn't want to like to talk about this in front of my crew <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's yeah. so it's so good and i love all the the max fisher player stuff like all the plays he puts on because yeah. they're all like amalgamations of like movies we've seen and everything the the, there's a one stupid one we get to see when he gets when he goes to the Grover Cleveland High School or whatever, where he's like in a car and he's like, "It's time, homie." Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and, he, and his girlfriend is like, "Kiss me, little one." <laughs> and uh, and like the uh, the one that they do where the, you know it's like all of Al Pacino's greatest hits, basically. Yeah. You know, there's like Serpico, there's Heat, there's all the Godfathers in there, and he's like, "You forgot the cannoli line, man." You forget, the grand old man loves it's cannolis um i think that's what makes that character work is because he's he is delusional mm-hmm. but he, he's also not yeah you know what i mean like some of his ambition is stuff that he's actually able to achieve and yeah. he's clearly what the, what they would have called in my era in the in the 80s a gifted and talented student in the sense that you know he's, he's writing and producing all these plays and has all these aspirations uh it's just such a he is dangerous yeah and he is arguably the villain of this movie yeah uh, but he's still really likable even by the end which is uh, a, a way too pat ending though yeah i mean it's everything happen everything works but still even by the ending i don't know if i've just read into it but i still think he's got that evil designs th- even at yeah. the end of it yeah yeah 
Um, because she's like, um, I think it's her, her, his dad comes in and he's like, you want me, can I dance with your girlfriend or whatever? And he's like, and she's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. F I'm already spoken for and everything. He's like, I'm his girlfriend. And he's like, Oh, girlfriend (laughs) and all that. And it seems all sheepish and everything, but like, there's a lot of things that just, I don't know the way he looks at the end and all that. There's like. Yeah, the ending of this movie makes it seem very happy and very pat, but maybe, I mean, the way he is, yeah. three days later, he's already going after her again. Yeah. You know, hey, I put on that play. I got you back together with your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> what you what's in it for me? Yeah, what's in it for me? The other um, thing this movie does is introduce the world to serious Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, even though it's a comedic movie and everything. He had still done The Man Who Knew Too Little like the year before this. And mm-hmm. He was still like comic Bill Murray with right. a few things like Crater Will Rock and like uh, Ed Wood and things like that in mm-hmm. there. But this was like the start of like Lost in Translation Bill Murray and Jim yeah. Jarmish Bill Murray and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The things that people now identify him with. Sort of a second than wind. The screwball. So, exactly. Because mm-hmm. we knew him all from Ghostbusters and Meatballs and all that shit before. In this movie, he's got like cigarette dangling out of his mouth with super long mm-hmm. ash and he's chucking golf balls <laughs> in his pool <laughs> in the middle of a party. Like, he's like so messed up. I love it. It's uh, it's such a great movie. Uh, So, all right. So, let's talk about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The third of the Indiana Jones series. Yeah. First one uh, I ever saw, though. Yeah, and uh, and it and it gets back to the Raiders of the Lost Ark type of uh, model. Like Temple of Doom was was you know, I don't know. It was a lot of um, what it would was you, weird. It was weird, and there were a lot of annoying characters yep. in it. Cake. I mean, it's funny. I haven't even. I didn't without any prompting. Two different people I've gotten in conversations with somehow brought up Temple of Doom. <laughs> And talked about how annoying Kate Capshaw is in that movie, mm. and she r- really is. Yeah. I mean, is I mean, it's I think Indy? it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I think it's on purpose, but it's one of those on purpose type of things where you're just like, ah, come on, you could have dialed that down just a little bit. Uh, but not to talk about uh, Temple of Doom. We're talking about Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> is we, it sacrilege to say that of all of the four of them, I'll even discount the last one. This is the one that I probably watch. If I came in the middle of it all the way through, mm. like I, I, and it may be because this is the one that I was tied to. I think I saw Temple of Doom before I saw this mm. one, and then I saw Raiders after this. And maybe it's just you know emotionally, my childhood was tied to it. But I just think it's so much fun when you introduce the Sean Connery character, and then you get the young Indiana Jones, and then you get you know all the, it. It encapsulated all of the fun of this character. Besides, without the heavy baggage that comes with it, like in Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and stuff like that. Some of it, for me at least, and this is probably more about when when I saw these movies, but there was more appeal to me in adventure going after an artifact like the Holy Grail that I was very familiar with through all the different King Arthur lore and all that stuff. I knew, okay, this is supposed to be Jesus's cup. I get it. I didn't have any fucking clue what the Ark of the Covenant was when I watched Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. I didn't. I mean, I'm sure it's biblical somewhere, but it's like way Old Testament Bible that I didn't read very much of. And and so maybe it was harder for me to connect to that adventure because I didn't know what the hell he was going after. Uh, but uh, I think it just has to do mostly with this is the one I saw first. And so I hold the all all subsequent ones that I saw uh, up to this one, and none of them are quite as much fun. Okay, all right. So I'm not insane. I don't think so. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I like Raiders way more than this. Mm. Um, but Last Crusade does like I was getting to before. 
does get a lot of that Raider of the Lost Ark fun back into it, especially oh, yeah. with the three things that he has to do to get to the actual cave. That's always been exciting for me, mm-hmm. just the the way he goes through that. And even he even gets to mess up a little bit, yeah. too. It's not just, you know, one and you're done. Right. And, he, you know, he has to spell Jehovah and he presses yeah. and he steps on the J first and he hears Sean Connery. But in the Hebrew alphabet, it starts with an I. Yeah. <laughs> J. <laughs> Which is also kind of bullshit. First of all, why wouldn't you, like, put a little bit of pressure on there instead of, like, jumping oh, the fuck yeah, out of it? Oh, yeah, And then how some, somehow grabs onto the, the wall to keep himself right, from falling. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I always thought that was the easiest one to go through because you could just kind of tap it a little bit, you know, and figure it out or whatever. Like, oh, nope. And then, nope, nope. It's almost like Minesweeper or something. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the the ending of that that movie is very good. And, of course, the dynamic between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery is very Mm -hmm. good. Um, The, you know, the (laughs) Sean Connery is just so... This is one of his most, it's his lightest role, yeah. maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he's, you know, all the stuff, you call this archaeology, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all that. And, and he's just, uh, and in, yeah, he's just a bad father for, for money or whatever, but like, uh, but oblivious. Yeah. He's an obliviously bad father. Like, yeah. you know, when he's, yeah, when he gets the, the birds on the beach to, to take down that jet and he's everything, he's just walking with his umbrella. He's like, with the birds of the air. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, just like all sure of himself. I'm like, oh, fuck you, man. I love Harrison Ford's, uh, you know, going into the mansion or whatever. And he's like, he's, he's like, I'm here to see about the tapestries. <laughs> he's like, this is a mansion, isn't it? It does have tapestries. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really fun movie. Um, I, it's it's just it's not Raiders, and I, I mm. know that you guys uh, because of you know this is the first one you saw or whatever. Uh, I don't know if this was the first one I saw. I'm pretty sure I'd seen Raiders and Temple of Doom before this, but um, but I I really enjoyed it. Um, it's just that it's just not it's not. Well, Raiders. this was eight years into it, right? Because Raiders was eighty one, mm-hmm. and then Temple of Doom was eighty four. Eighty four, yeah. And then this was eighty. And Temple of Doom was a weird prequel. It came out two. It was set two years before Raiders yeah, of the Lost yeah, yeah. Ark, and then they went. They jumped back to World War Two for. Mm-hmm. Last Crusade. Of course, it's got a lot of the great World War II stuff in it. Spielberg and the yeah. Nazis and yeah, all that other yeah. stuff, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a really fun movie. Now, which one is going to win <laughs> out of these two? Well, uh, I know what I'm voting for. So it's going to be me, you, him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rushmore. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's just a more complete film. I, I can watch Raiders and have a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's fun. That tank chase sequence is classic spielberg mm-hmm. um but it just doesn't have the weight uh to me the characters that resonate that make me think about them afterwards and you know wonder what they what they might go on to yeah. and whatnot uh just uh it's, I, it's still my favorite wes anderson movie mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so it gets my vote yeah you're right the rushmore has the most heart out of it, all of his stuff. i think so um because you can't really have both all the time. If you pay so much attention to detail right. visually, it's hard to inject that heart. That's got to come from the performances. And in this one, Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray really provide that. Um, so, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Right off the bat, we're going to have a tiebreaker because I'm going with Last Crusade. Ah. Because that's just, it is just so much fun. It's everything that an action adventure should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I can still watch it. The effects are a little bit cheesy. 
but it's got the no tickets line. It's got yeah. like all this wonderful. I will never get tired of seeing people kill Nazis. All mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So that's my shit. I that's my vote. That. No ticket. Well, let me do it because all the audience is saying it right now. You chose poorly. Oh. Oh. Because I'm going to pick Rushmore here. Um, and this is a tough battle. Yeah, I, definitely. Now, it was uh, when I first saw this, I was like, yeah, definitely Rushmore or whatever. But both of them have equal merits, I believe, yeah. and everything. But Rushmore, I, I feel like there's so much I'm, you know, because I'm a lover of comedy in general, I just love how many little different di- little things are in this. Just mm-hmm. like I said, like, you know, I don't want to discuss this in front of my crew. And then right. it just cuts away and you're like, <laughs> you're, you're left to ponder that. And then the, you know, the, the, the little one act about Watergate is another <laughs> one, is how he got into the school. One act. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, oh I, I, that movie is so good and chock full of that kind of thing. Uh, I can't, I can't pick against it here. So uh, Rushmore is going to take it. Rushmore, it is in the play-in game. I don't argue took with us that. Twenty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go on to the next one. All right, so we're still in the play-in rounds, mm-hmm. uh, and this time it's The Departed versus Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Wow. Jesus. Now this is, I think, I think this is harder than the last. one. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. The Departed is Scorsese's. He won the Oscar for this. It won Best Picture. It finally got him all the adulation uh, through awards that he had been either seeking or at least everybody else had been hoping that he yeah. would he yeah. would get for all all his time. Uh, when I first watched The Departed, I wasn't as high on it as a lot of people. But I, uh, subsequent viewings, now I can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is just chock full of actors we love yeah. characters we love just that gritty dialogue and uh it's just it's fantastic there is something about it though on its first viewing that doesn't seem to hold up to scorsese stuff i don't know if it's because it's boston versus new york or whether it's you know some sort of length issue or that it goes on so long after the big death scene um but i completely agree with you after the zillions of times that i've watched it afterwards it's just so memorable and iconic performances from all across the board. The bit parts of Wahlberg and Alec Baldwin yeah. and all that shit, like that, just sticks with you, you know? Yeah, and uh, maybe it's just because I don't. I can't tell you how long this movie is, and I don't mean length, but from the time it starts to the time it's over, how much real life has passed. I can't tell you yeah. because you could take it on face value and think, well, that was a few weeks. Right. Or you could assume he's jumping ahead in time and we're just not seeing everything. And then it was what, a year and a half? Yeah. There was a, so, yeah, there was a point where he says, DiCaprio says it out loud. And you're like, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, and it just, maybe that's what adds to it. I think of a movie like Goodfellas that just punches me in the stomach. Mm and sits in my brain for hours after i'm done watching it i watched the departed and i am maybe more entertained mm-hmm. than i am watching goodfellas but as soon as it's over i'm on to something else it doesn't stay with me in that well, sense you guys have brought up something that you know I'm, I'm just you know thinking about this first viewing through it and you were, we were comparing it to goodfellas and everything remember how kinetic goodfellas is yeah. even through the narration it gets you right in there. And yep. there's like all this technique you see right off the bat, these freeze frames and all this camera work yeah. and all that. Even Casino does more, I think, than Departed does. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and it's the same sort of casinos like Goodfellas, but Vegas, right. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but but The Departed, it 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 doesn't move that way. It does have that just balls to the wall scene with DiCaprio following Damon yeah. after the porn theater oh thing. My God. That is that that was when I first really felt like I was watching a Scorsese movie. Yeah. It was right there. Yeah. And uh and and with Goodfellas, you know right off the bat, but you're just instantly just wrapped up into it as soon as it starts. Departed kind of takes a little bit. You know, it's he's gotta go through all the you know the the training and then he's not going to be a cop they put him in the they go through all this stuff at the first that takes some time there's like 15 minutes of movie before that which feels like the beginning yeah uh, but there's all that setup that may be part of it i love this movie yeah. i will stop and watch it when it's on i will never watch the edited for television version i don't even know <laughs> right. why anyone puts that on their airwaves because no. <laughs> every other sentence is something bleeped or yeah, yeah. replaced yeah um, yeah, so I love it. It's hard for me to say much bad about it, but then I look across the aisle and I see Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. and I'm like, wow, I don't, I don't know if I can put it in that ballpark. Yeah. Well, in Close Encounters, talk about taking its time. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Close Encounters yeah. takes its fucking time, man. Yeah. Yes, it does. And this is probably, especially at that early age of Spielberg, probably his most like deliberately paced mm-hmm. all the way through. Absolutely. And then you have that huge thing at the end. Yeah. But it it you gotta really like tie on board to to get going all the way through. You, you know? do. It always bugs me though when Richard Dreyfus is in his truck and he gets that first visit with the lights and the rattling and everything. Like he is so calm through all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, just, I would be screaming like Steve Carell getting my chest hair waxed, and, <laughs> and he's just kind of shocked into observing it. Yeah, and it always that, that scene. I'm always like, that's not how a real person would react. A you real person think, would shit themselves. Well, I mean, he always he, the whole movie. He's got this sense of wonderment to he where does. it's like he does. That's he's just blindly following this this whole concept, and I guess that's kind of yeah. You're right, but that <laughs> that is kind of how I took that is that he's just like yeah, wow, this is amazing. I'm right. gonna go after this. You know, this is true obsession on yeah. film i mean you know the mashed potatoes and then <laughs> yeah. like later on putting all the dirt and mud and stuff in his in his kitchen and, yeah and uh basically saying all right you my wife and kids can leave me i have this in my head and i'm gonna deal with it you know um yeah i i've i really enjoy the deliberate pace of this movie and it's when you watch most alien encounter you know alien invasion type movies it's it it really just wants you to be like enthralled immediately like mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where we're desperate to entertain you we need to have show you aliens right off the bat and we need to show like stuff getting blown up and all that if you're used to the independence day type of model and then you go back and watch close encounters it's suddenly it's just such a f- breath of fresh air man yeah much more Which like a funny. rival almost yeah. I think, yeah. in terms of pacing and the way it approaches aliens and sci-fi in general yeah mm-hmm. and and uh just a lot of the, he put a like i mean a lot of like really fun casting in there francois Truffaut, yeah is in here and then you have bob balaban yeah. uh and uh and then yeah and then yeah dreyfus is is just great in this and I don't know if there is one alien movie I've ever seen that has given me the sort of wonder when the, these ships come down and the John Williams score helps too. But 
just just the way they arrive and like all that that whole like ending scene is like 40 minutes oh or it something. takes forever it's but like, you're riveted all yeah, the way through it's uh yeah and you, you're just because you're just you're like them on the mountain you're yeah. sitting there going what's gonna happen right this could be annihilation yep. or it could be you know what we've always wanted we wanted to communicate with these i always did think it was kind of weird though that they took the kid yeah. And then brought him back like after a year. I mean, I guess it's because they finally communicated with him and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, we better bring these kids people back. <laughs> but like, they're like, whatever they wanted to do with this kid was, was done. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, like we brought him up and he was uh, gone for like uh, six months or whatever. Yeah. Was, but yeah, man, this, and by the end of it, when the credits are rolling, you're like, you just sit back and just, man, that is just way movies should be made. Yeah. Oh, it's satisfying, too, because it's rare to get like an alien contact movie. You look at something like Contact, mm-hmm. which is a, what we think is a really good movie, but it has such a letdown towards the end. Yeah. This is the exact opposite. You're building and building and building, and then you have this wonderful payoff. And what this does have that I was thinking about with The Departed tangentially to Goodfellas, Goodfellas has that wonderful uh layla moment Mm -hmm. that musical moment uh, set over uh derek and the dominoes layla this obviously has one of the most iconic music moments of all time absolutely i just murdered that but uh (laughs) no i think you were pretty close (laughs) but the fact that they when they're communicating the aliens don't know what frequency to do it because they'll be like da, 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 boom, boom, yeah. <laughs> like oh no, sorry, we got to take it down a little bit. And yeah. then I love it too when you're talking about that whole music scene because because uh, the guy's like yeah. and then like the the you know the ship's going through like crazy iterations of yeah. it and everything and yeah this is uh, just a I don't know how else to you know praise this movie mm-hmm. i mean it's it's really the perfect type of alien encounter movie yes. well and it's responsible for one of my 10 favorite simpsons moments ever mm-hmm. when homer is playing with his mashed potatoes and makes him into the shape of a big top tent and then <laughs> says i want to go to clown college it storms <laughs> off and Bart goes i don't think any of us expected him to say that <laughs> where he's like yeah he's like you have you've been you, you can't hold me back anymore <laughs> yeah. or something like that <laughs> um but uh yeah uh this is great so between these two movies oh man what are we gonna pick uh i gotta go with the departed okay Uh, i'll tell you why i go with the departed is that with all of its faults that we talked about the performances in this thing just knock it out of the park for me i didn't even talk about leonardo dicaprio how does he hold his hand that steady i don't know I don't I have, know. Every time I see that scene, I try and I can't go like two seconds without a waiver. And he just sits there for the whole goddamn time. Yeah. I think I think it's digital effects. <laughs> <laughs> That's the world CG we live hand. in where for a half a second, I wasn't sure if you were joking. Because <laughs> no, I've seen him tell the story. I just, I, he actually does this. If you did for some reason think it was fake, he actually does. I just I want to know how it's physiologically possible. That's pretty amazing. But I mean, these are powerhouses going up against each other mm-hmm. nicholson damon dicaprio i'll even put Wahlberg up there martin sheen martin sheen mm-hmm. alec baldwin man uh, it, it's just too much too much fun for me to pick against even though i love close encounters right well this may be the same sort of deal you guys were having with last crusade because close encounters is going to win my vote here ah. uh really though i saw it as a kid and i didn't really I wasn't connecting to it as a kid. It's more like later on in life that yeah. I connected to Close Encounters more than anything. And um, 
and I, every time it's on, I'm just my jaws dropped, and uh, and I can't pick against that for you know. And The Departed is very close on this. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree, it's as fun a movie as movies get. Yeah. Uh, but as far as just being as well made and everything, I got to go Close Encounters. Nice. Oh wow. Yeah. Right. I really don't want to be the decider on this one. <laughs> to quote. President Bush. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going Close Encounters. And, oh. um, I think in 30 years, that will still be a classic, and The Departed will not be. Mm. Um, even though interesting. I think The Departed would, if I'm if I'm looking at both these Blu-rays on the shelf, and I got two hours, I'd probably put The Departed in, mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's an easier commit. Right. I can also get up and walk away if something happens or needs my attention. Whereas with Close Encounters, I want to be in it. I yeah. want to steep in it. Uh, and it's just it's a lot more to say. Like, The Departed is basically, the point of that movie is everyone's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's a rat. And it's and it's yeah. it's weird. Uh, just while you were describing that, I was thinking, but this contradicts the last vote, um, is that this is a movie that is, is made for the big screen. Close yeah. Encounters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and that's why I feel like it it has an edge over the departed. But in our last vote, Last Crusade definitely has it over Rushmore in that category. Yeah. So it's not really the. What's fascinating is there's about 18 different things that could make us choose, you know, our vote. Right? Mm-hmm. What would I rather put in right now? What had more cultural impact? What entertains me the most? What stayed with me the longest? And we're probably going to change every single time we're picking individually, mm-hmm. which is why this is so unpredictable. Somebody I, I did see a comment that said. By even making the bracket, you've basically let us know what's going to win. And I thought to myself oh, yeah. when I what? saw that, no, no, I think there's going to be some surprises coming up yeah. uh, because uh, this, this is unpredictable. Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't know what he I, I'm looking at the bracket and I don't know what's going to win. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. He I mean, said that's just, this is the reason why the, the selection committee doesn't actually decide who wins the basketball games. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, he did give us a compliment at the end. So I don't want to I want that guy to think I'm ragging him. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, truthfully and honestly, I'm looking at this bracket and there's no way. I, I could pick a winner right now no no i mean that and that's just with you individually then yeah collectively we have no idea what's gonna right happen. so anyway um all right so close encounters goes on the uh, play schindler's list yeah all right so oh, spielberg versus spielberg yeah we did get our spielberg versus spielberg here um, out of four possibilities yeah three out of the four could have been or four out of the four could have been it could have Spielbergs. been no. um our next one is in the east region field of dreams versus one flew over the cuckoo's nest god yeah. this is hard yeah because if i'm honest i think one flew over the cuckoo's nest has more to say Mm-hmm. and is a deeper more important movie most definitely um but i'm almost certainly gonna pick Fuse of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um i i'm curious to, to anyone who loves movies that has seen field of dreams but it's maybe not of our generation maybe they grew up in the soccer generation of 15 years ago like how much was the fact that i was playing little league when this movie came out how much does that make me love this? The baseball was such a part of my life at that point. In it time. was definitely for me at the time because the idea of building your own baseball field in your backyard yeah. that was that was fucking, you know, mana <laughs> from is heaven. Such a good looking field. Yeah, it is. Like <laughs> corn should be the outfield in every major league stadium. It just looks perfect. <laughs> yeah. And uh and so yeah, there was there was definitely something to that. Like there was it really captured my imagination and everything. Got to be honest, on these two movies, though, I have seen neither of them in a long time. Oh, right? yeah. 
one flew over the cuckoo's nest probably been years field of dreams definitely been years so i'm gonna have to go <laughs> i'm gonna have to like really like think about this one yeah. because uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest i believe as i i think i said this in the uh, 1975 episode i didn't really like it that was another one i didn't like the first time i watched it oh, and yeah. i've watched it since and everything and especially with what you were talking about in one of the scenes one of the heartbreaking scenes we later on talked about I was like, yeah, this is this movie has a lot more to say mm-hmm. than uh, maybe I've given it credit for. And plus, a, just a wonderful Nicholson performance uh, oh, yeah. at the heart of it. You know, this is this is how Nicholson became a super superstar. I mean, Chinatown was definitely like, like another movie with a great Simpsons moment parodying it. Doesn't Barney like throw the water? He does. Out the window? <laughs> he does. He does. But yeah, um, you talk about performances, man. He had Nicholson at the top of his game mm-hmm. at this point. Him doing McMurphy is basically his persona at the time, mm-hmm. just taken up a notch, you know. And Louise Fletcher won the um, yeah. the Oscar for so Nurse Ratched. Evil. She is, but you get a little more if you watch it enough times. And I've probably watched this movie twenty five times or something mm-hmm. like that. You watch it enough she's right on some of these things like Mm -hmm. she's got to restore order some of these people should not be pushed the way that mcmurphy is pushing them they're Mm -hmm. they're not stable enough for it now billy is not one of those characters but uh some of the other ones are so you see it in these group scenes where they're trying to process and they're just shouting at each other one's getting off on like antagonizing the christopher lloyd character and one is just screaming and screaming she's got to restore order to this so if you introduce chaos to it I mean, that's the whole counterculture idealism mm-hmm. that Ken Kesey came up with. It didn't come up with, but was tapping into there. It upsets the apple cart in a way that can be deleterious to other people. You yeah. Know? So, y- yes, she is evil. Mm-hmm. But there's some like semblance of, of truth and, and the way things are supposed to be that I think that's why it makes that character so rich. Yeah. And it, and it definitely makes the movie a little bit more complex yeah. than saying that Nicholson is the protagonist. Yep. So therefore, we should just go along with everything he, he does. Yeah. That's one of our favorite sin things in movies is is looking at the bad guy's perspective. Yep. They make people bad guys in these movies a lot of times and you're sitting there going, It's kinda got a point. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um But uh but yeah, um so Field of Dreams, yeah, definitely was because I because I had gotten into baseball so so much and everything by the time the, the field and all that, yes. But then all the classic players yeah. and all that, and like it, it just really gets your imagination. There's a lot of people in this uh-huh. Ray Liotta, and there's James Earl Jones, yep. and a young Gabby Hoffman, and, yeah, yeah, and uh, Timothy Busfield, Timothy Busfield, <laughs> and uh, don't and, sell the farm, Ray. Don't yeah. sell the farm. <laughs> Timothy Busfield was a great 80s that guy, yes, he, he was, yeah, he, <laughs> he really was uh, into the 90s too because he's in sneakers, but yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 but yeah, that one tears at your heartstrings because. It doesn't matter if you're into baseball or not. Like it, the connection between him and his father, and like the the whole being out there in the prairie and the small town type of thing, and Costner's idealism and everything that translates no matter what you think of you know baseball or the construct and all that stuff. That is global. Well, and I think that I mean I think I mentioned this before when we were voting back in this year, but uh, the daddy issues thing. I think is a huge part of why this movie works and pays off. I remember watching it with my wife and she was like, so do all guys just have daddy issues? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure a little bit to a certain extent (laughs) because that's such a universal theme. Yeah. Um, And, you know, his case is an extreme one where, you know, they had a literal falling out and he didn't get to see him before his dad died. And, 
Uh, and the movie, I think, is more about magic than I think it is baseball. Yeah, definitely, because um, they don't show very many baseball scenes in this. Right. But if you don't finish this movie with a sense of hope and optimism, then you weren't paying attention to it, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and, and that can be an important thing for a movie to do to make you feel uh, I love it. I like you said you hadn't seen it in a long time, but it it's been playing on stars or one of them for oh, yeah. the last several months. And I, my wife knows the music now. She's seen the movie <laughs> one time, yeah, but, because I have it on so often. She's like, "Are you watching Field of Dreams again?" And, uh, and, uh, and I just love it. And much like what we were talking about with the bad guys and everything, the, here's a situation where the good guy is probably completely wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you know, I mean, he's he's mortgaging his family's future because he thinks he hears voices uh telling him to build this baseball field yeah. and and we know he's right but yeah. nobody else knows he's well, right it's, it's like the obsession with close encounters of the third kind right. people just leave their families yeah. leave their belongings and everything and just go after this and we're like oh yeah that'll probably pay yeah off, and he you goes know? like on a cross-country trip yeah. to get james earl jones <laughs> i guess is he playing like a jd salinger like yeah. Or is he playing J.D. Salinger? No, he's playing uh, uh, parody. Because <laughs> I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's actually playing Salinger, but I think it's, you know, like it, it's it's basically him. Though. Yeah. It's a reclusive writer. J.R. Schlesinger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So, all right. How are we going to go? It's Your my first? turn. Yep. Okay. Good God. <laughs> all right. Uh, based on sort of the importance and the uh, dynamic performance and everything, one flew over the cuckoo's nest is going to have to win this one mm. um and and my love of baseball probably transcends my love of like whatever you mental know health. mental health <laughs> um i don't mean to sound uh you know like a dick but uh but uh especially at the time i mean i was 12 years old when this came out yeah but uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh definitely because of the performances and like like you have sort of discussed over these past few podcasts all the different complexities of this movie mm. It does it so well. Uh, I got to go with that. Well, I know what you're going to vote, but I'm voting Field of Dreams because ah. it's my happy place. And this one is a pure heart pick for me mm -hmm. um, and uh, it just makes me beam and smile. And like you were talking about the villains, you know, the villain here is, is Timothy Busfield, right. who's trying to make him sell the farm out of love right because it's his <laughs> wife's brother and they're going to lose the farm yeah. if they don't sell it. Um and then, of course, at the end, he finally sees the ball players and comes around. He's not a bad guy. He's like, no. the, he's like the principal in Ferris Bueller. He's right. just doing the right thing. <laughs> Although principal in Ferris Bueller, a little bit more like a bad guy in that movie. But you're right. He is doing his job. In yeah. That. <laughs> um, I just love, love, love it. It's even the uh, first time we I was ever introduced to uh, Frank Whaley. No, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. in the Swimming with Sharks, which we talk about a lot, and he's also in Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. is, 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 he the, is, is he the Moonlight Graham character? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, Arch, yeah. Archie Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually teared up even as like a, what was I, a 10-year-old at this movie when they played Catch at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, man. I know it, that man. Just, that just really gave me chills. Uh, my pick is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, I figured. Um, it is a great movie, start to finish. It is. It's a pretty long movie, I think, um, but it doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. There's just so many parts to it that 
are, are just iconic. It's just a it's a beautiful, beautiful movie and very complex. So that's my pick. All that's right. That's the winner. That one will be going up against Children of Men. Yeah. All right. So our final play-in game is Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers versus All the President's Men. Oh, wow. And of course, this was the one matchup where we just went off on like how different these two movies yeah. are from each other. <laughs> they are, indeed. One is huge fantasy spectacle. One is basically a docudrama. Right. Um, now, All the President's Men... Of all the movies in the 70s, I've seen this the most, probably. Oh, it's, yeah. it's probably, actually, maybe just under Star Wars, mm. as far as how many times really? I've seen it. Um, and I don't know. There's When you can tell a story like that that is super complex, um, has many characters in it, uh, I, I, it's a tremendous plot. It's a real-life plot. Yep. Uh, but it's a tremendous plot. Like if you were to actually be able to come up with this on your own, you would be a genius. <laughs> um, but uh, I I love all the president's men for so many reasons. The the dynamic between Woodward and Bernstein before they're writing together mm -hmm. and everything. There's the great scene, and uh, Woodward is like written this. He's written this article and Bernstein goes over to like change some of it. Everything that Redford puts on the copy desk, you see Bernstein go over and start changing stuff. <laughs> and then like and then like, uh, you know, Woodward comes over and he's like, what, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, well, you have you, you don't have the right stuff in the first paragraph. You need to tell it, say this and that and whatever. By the end of it, Woodward's like, I don't mind that you did this. I just I mind the way you did it. <laughs> you know, if you want, and he's like, and he's like, gives him all his notes. He's like, here, if you want to write it, you just punch it up with the facts, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so like, they don't like each other right off the bat. And then they have to work, work with each other. Uh, this is one of those movies where, geez, I mean, how in the world are they going to get somebody to talk on the record? It yeah. is so, you feel their frustration all the way through this, even though they're finding all the things they need to find. Um, you know, they keep going to these people's houses and doors just keep getting slammed back in their rent. And then there's the great scene too, where they find someone who's just like way too willing to talk. Yeah. And they're like, this seems too good to be true. And they find out, oh, it's not the person that they came to come see and everything. Um, it's an, it's of course an important story, you yes, know? I mean, this is, uh, a huge, huge, like, you know, moment in American history, a huge blight, um, using the power of the presidency in this way um but it's i just just think about all the different things that are in here that they have to like connect and they have to they have to get this deep throat guy yeah you know like and nobody believes them for a long the time. tenacity and the balls on these guys yeah is amazing and it's a very timely story yeah i think so um because they take down the top levels of government right essentially and the how do you do this how do you say like you keep getting rejected over and over and over and over again and then finally you get one piece to fall into place and right then finally you get the next one and then it starts and rolling. they have to keep getting these sources and they have to get two sources to get the get the article to go through and a lot of times they have to play these tricks which yeah. I, I always found those amusing like if they actually had to do this like if I, i'm going to count down from 10 if i if i <laughs> if i get to zero and you don't say anything i can publish the story blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh and and it's like it's like can't you just say yeah or no because you're doing the same thing if somebody if your boss saw you doing this yeah you know it's no it's no different yeah. um but anyway i all the president's men is as intense as movies get 
It is one of the best movies, one of my favorite movies, and I and if it ends up winning, it's going to go up and gets back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> what I like is that none of it would ever have even been possible if Forrest Gump hadn't been watching from the hotel. I know, the right? Way. That's the one thing they conveniently missed. I in, know. Well, maybe they didn't know about Forrest. They, they Gump probably left it out because it wasn't cinematic enough. Right, but, right, right. I mean, it's all about first domino. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Was it? Wasn't it random? Didn't he just randomly assign Woodward and Bernstein? Uh, the well, editor? it was um i'm trying to remember what the uh, the thing was because at first nobody really believed in the story mm-hmm. so they so they got people who weren't uh known to start mm-hmm. start on it and they felt like it wasn't going to be anything you know and um but i think it was it started off with the burglary and then there's the um there's the the courtroom scene at the beginning where woodward is in there and like there's a guy he's like he's like are you here for the for for this or whatever he's and the guy's like i'm not here (laughs) and uh (laughs) and uh and and he keeps asking questions and the guy doesn't want to answer anything getting him very curious but the burglary and the little courtroom scene at the beginning they write us an article about that courtroom scene i Mm. think that i think that's how it goes even though i've seen it a million times i Mm. can't remember exactly if that was the first one uh, but they, but he writes the thing about the burglary and like, there's more questions involved. Yeah. I think it starts off being just that, like they just want him to write him about that. But then there's like all these details that don't add up to him. And he's like, there's more to this story mm. that we haven't gotten to yet. Cause why are there FBI and CIA people yeah. in this court yeah. getting to depo- or like getting their whatever it was, it was like a hearing or something yeah. like that. Uh, so, um, <laughs> there's a great scene that, uh, the reference on the phone and he's like, the person on the other line is like, well, you know, this, this person works for the CIA and he's at this moment of shock. He's like, yeah, yeah, totally. He's like, ready <laughs> yeah, now, like, yeah. CIA. Yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, of course, if you're writing something about that, surely you would know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, that's uh, funny how naive they are and how, how much they don't know. Cause there's a scene in there also where he's asking about one of the, one of the guys and he's like. I'm glad you asked me that question and not our editor, who's Jason Robards, uh-huh. is really freaking great in the movie. He's like, I'm really glad you asked me that question because if you asked him that question, you and he's like, what kind of schmuck do we have on this on this you know thing? We're gonna have to fire him immediately because he doesn't know this guy. Um, anyway, it's a great movie, and it, I would say that if you haven't seen that, it is definitely worth yes. your while. Um, it is as good as movies gets. All right, so. The two towers. Yeah, yeah. Did you? I'm sorry. Did you? Did we not let you talk about all the presidents? Man, I don't have a lot to say. I think I've seen it twice. Oh, okay. Uh, and I remember really liking it and respecting it a lot. Oh, okay. But it's much nearer and dearer to both of you than me, so mm. I didn't really have a lot to add. Now, two towers. I could talk about mm-hmm. ad nauseum um, <clears throat> because I love it, mm-hmm. and because it is undoubtedly in my mind the best of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and it has a little bit of everything. Yeah. Right. This is kind of odd isn't it like the second one i think i remember back then when return of the king had come out a lot of people were like well the two towers doesn't stand on its own and it's um it's just a a bridge chapter for the other two greater lord of the rings this is what a lot of people were saying but Mm. now i think we've got time and you look back at the two towers and i i agree it's the best one it's the that helm's deep battle yep I, i understand it's fictional Mm-hmm. didn't really happen right i understand <laughs> that i'm looking at a lot of cg mm-hmm. 
uh, it's one of the most thrilling battle scenes ever filmed. Yeah. Uh, it is just every time I watch it, I, I'm amazed at the pacing and the editing to build the tension to that first moment the battle begins. And then the battle itself lasts for like 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the first one is mostly adventure and fun. The third one is mostly battle and, and sacrifice. The middle one is a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And I like that we we start out separated after we all fled Boromir's death scene or what have you. Uh, and so we get to follow the adventures of, you know, basically everybody mm-hmm. doing their own thing. Um Except for Gandalf, then he disappears, and we don't know what he was doing. But um, mm-hmm. he, he comes was... back right at the same same time he said he would, as the yeah. sun is coming up over the thing, because he knew it would blind the guys, yeah. and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is very much like Empire Strikes Back, right? It's it's the meat in the sandwich. Yeah, I could it's, I could see that. It's got it's got all of the the heart because you see like how connected these people are at the, at the core. Whereas in the first, they were just kind of getting the fellowship together and everything, but they. Return of the King is a great movie, but it's it's a lot of what we see here. Mm-hmm. Retread, yeah. you know, and, and those battle scenes, it's like how much bigger can you make than Helm's Deep, which is almost a perfect battle scene. You right. Know? And then and that's what he does in Return of the King. It's it's just that times ten. Yep. Uh with with not as much of the tension in my book. Uh I don't dislike the Return of the King. No. I, I like it greatly. But Two Towers, uh, God, it's I, just almost perfect in my yeah. book. Hey, it's uh, and the two towers has the great Sean Aston thing at the end, the great speech that he does, and uh, you know, talking about you know the the tales that they were told and mm-hmm. everything. And then I also do, I love the little the salt on Isengard and all that, you know the 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 trees coming yeah. in and and there's that one great little detail of the one tree that's on, on fire, fire and he <laughs> runs over and dunks his head in the water so and awesome. everything. Um, and, well, uh, let me get some of that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and I, it's not as great as it was in the trailer because the trailer has that you know that awesome like Requiem for a Dream music and everything oh, yeah. like. They they redid it and for Lord of the Rings and everything, but that that the line is great even in the movie, but in the trailer it's way better because the way they edit it. But this, you know, when when uh, when Saruman's like there'll be no dawn for men, yeah, you know, and uh, it's just uh, I, I I agree, it's it's definitely the best one, and it's got the it's got the best paced action. Mm-hmm. It's got the best paced story out of it because Return of the King, as good as it is, it's not paced well at all. No, no, no. And it's cramming a lot of stuff in, trying to get that like at the end and everything. And you know, I always tell that story, Return of the King. Like I walked past it that midnight show, you know, running these freaking things at midnight, and uh, I look at it and I'm like, oh, Aragorn is like knight in the hobbits. It's <laughs> at the it's that's the end of the movie, and there's like a big like two inches thick of yeah. film still left <laughs> yeah. on the platter and i was like oh damn i forgot there's like all that you know whatever but uh yeah i love the two towers a lot too so out of these two movies wow crazy crazy match first right yep. two, towers. Mm-hmm. two towers um i just don't have the familiarity with all the president's men i know that it is potentially the better of the two but because i don't have personal knowledge of that and I haven't seen it in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to vote two towers and it's going to make my brother very sad. <laughs> <laughs> he, he emailed me, by the way, because <laughs> I guess I gave him shit on the 2016 one about not liking La La Land and not liking the 
Lord of the Rings, and he emailed me, let me know he he saw that. It's <laughs> <laughs> good times, man. There's so much pointing to me picking all the president's men. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a thing about the press, mm-hmm. like it, it fascinates me. That's why I like Spotlight so much. That's why I like this movie so much. And the paper with Michael Keaton. Yeah, and the paper with Second Michael time Keaton. I've dropped that on the podcast, <laughs> That's right. by the way. <laughs> and Citizen Kane. I don't know. Like I, I just like the idea of bringing down something corrupt just from hard work and mm-hmm. tenacity and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I don't think it has the breadth. It kind of kills me to pick this, but I'm going to go with the two towers. Oh. too. So wow. this is the first, the first pick where there has been, it's worthless. Yes. Basically. <laughs> I was all the president's men all the way on this one. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen, well, I've seen two towers a lot too, mm-hmm. surprisingly enough, but, um, all the president's men is, and you're going to save me from, the, the, you know, having to pick between that and Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> That's good. There's at least that. Yeah. Um, but uh, the yeah. two towers just has so much to chew on. Like that's one of the only extended cuts that I can watch and really get into the minutia yeah. of the bonus footage and all that. stuff. I am going to say though that if you're comparing excitement in these movies. All the President's Men still comes up with just about as much as excitement yes. as the two towers. It's does. just not um, based on mythical creatures. It's <laughs> correct. There's no Urukai in the, All the President's Men. You're at well. Although, no, Nixon's kind yeah. of an Urukai. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so the two towers goes on to go up against Back to the Future. That's right, baby. Best of luck. Yeah. Okay. For all you Tolkien fans. All right, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about Nature Box. Yeah. Nature Box. We got a new shipment of oh, stuff. Yeah. We we tried some new stuff uh, since our, our, our last shipment. And there's stuff in here like creme brulee peanuts. Yeah. Uh, Those gold. things are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and the sourdough cheddar pretzel. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And, and we also got... Something we, we we got more turkey jerky. We're not mm-hmm. gonna lie because mm-hmm. it's really good. Yeah, you gotta go with your hits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, uh, we're having a great success rate on the new snacks to like ratio. Right? Yeah, uh, that I think is one of the things that makes Nature Box cool. Right, yep. is that you know they do have that whole we'll replace it if you don't like a snack. We'll replace it for free, mm-hmm. but I've uh, the, the percentage of ones that I don't like is so small, it's statistically zero at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cashew crumble forever. Oh, that <laughs> stuff is man fantastic. Listen, this, this is stuff that you can get delivered to your front door. If you go to naturebox.com slash syncast, that's where you need to, that should be your home base because you get 50% off your first order. That's a half. That's, that's half. That's, that's half. That's mm-hmm. that's literally half mm-hmm. off your first yeah. order. It's four-eighths off of your first that's order. That's right. Oh, that's correct. Dropping some math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For people who don't like to reduce fractions, it's four-eighths. Yeah. <laughs> Those non-reducers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but man, like everybody snacks. Everybody's is sitting there. You're watching TV. You're watching movies that uh, the syncast recommended. You don't want to fill up on potato chips and bad stuff. You get some of these snacks, man. You feel good about yourself. It hits all the taste buds. You got a whole variety, and it's delivered right to your front door. Look, when I was a kid, my mom would buy... Now, this is the 80s. My mom would buy a fat-free version of something. Yeah. Now, that's, what, 30, 40 years ago? 30 years ago. Like, fat-free chip variety, Mm -hmm. right? They always tasted like ass. Yeah, right? I, I could always tell when she had bought fat-free something, even if I didn't see the package, because it. Ta- we have come a long way since then. Yeah, and now eating healthy 
can be tasty. Yeah. Yep. And NatureBox is one of the companies proving that. And so far, uh, of all the things that we've gotten in, there hasn't been one. I mean, seriously, literally one of these snacks have I not liked. Yep. So uh, it's uh, it's just great stuff. You got to keep making your way through the catalog, but I think that I think that success rate is going to hold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So. so where are we going again? We're going to naturebox.com slash Sidencast. That's it. Fifty percent off your first order. Fifty percent off. Tell them we sent you. Yep. You don't have to. It's part of that URL. Yeah. They'll that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> but now we've we've got people on Twitter who've who've told us that because of the Sidencast and us harping about it, they finally broke down and they both loved the snacks that they got. Yep. Uh, let's keep that train rolling. Like, let me know on Twitter if you yeah. order NatureBox and show show me a picture of, of what you decided to order. Yeah. That's awesome when people are sending in pictures of their shipments that yeah. they got in and <laughs> yeah. all these little NatureBox bags in there and everything. The buzz is building. <laughs> That's right. So, Good stuff. So, so yeah, NatureBox.com slash SingCast, 50% off, baby. We're going to do the four we're going to do the first four matchups after we do the four uh play-in games yep and then we'll work our ways way up from there yep so yes you won't get the whole round at the beginning but we'll get through four good matchups yeah and yeah lot to discuss and today it'll be eight matchups because we got through the play-in games yep. we're we're gonna sort of play this by ear and yep. see how long it takes and all that all right so our first matchup in the north region is jaws versus rushmore <sighs> I think one of them's <laughs> going to chew the other one up into uh, pieces. Ha, 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 ha. What could you mean by that? <laughs> I don't know, because, well, it's like shark versus bees. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's like that. This is interesting because, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this episode may not have heard us talk about the 1975 episode, which was, you know, forever ago. Yep. So this may be the first time that they hear us talk about uh, Jaws and its place in movie history and how dominant it was that year and a great year too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, 1975 had uh, we already talked about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest had Monty Python the Holy Grail. Yep. You know, it was a good year. Nashville. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it was. Yeah, it was a. It was an excellent year. Um, so Jaws. Uh, uh this was this was Spielberg's like I guess it was his second movie. Sugar Sugarland Express came before this. Mm. And uh, and it was a big the Peter Benchley novel was like this big beach novel that like everybody was reading at the time. It wasn't a I don't think it was a good book. I don't think I've read the book, but uh, it's one of those Godfather type things. Yeah, yeah. Where it wasn't Godfather was always considered a trashy book. Yeah, and they turned it into like like an amazing piece of art. By the way, a terrible book to read at the beach. If yeah, you're, yeah, if yeah. You're going to the beach. That's well, a little bit like watching a Castaway while you're on a plane. Well, and uh, and Jaws did. I mean, this is the 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 sort of the cliche that you hear about Jaws. Jaws did for beaches what Psycho did for showers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and and there was and you still have to call it a coincidence, but there was a downward trend in attendance after yeah. Jaws came out for beaches. Um. This is another movie though that even though it's a spectacle and it's like uh, it's a it's it was sort of invented the summer blockbuster. Mm. Uh, that's what it's generally considered the mm -hmm. the uh, the first one. Another movie that takes its time. Yep. It takes it doesn't go. I mean, it, it, yeah, it gives you shark attack right off of the right off the bat, but it really takes time to build characters and everything before it gets into the whole. And it's still character building by the time they get on the boat oh, and everything. Yeah. And, uh, and and the character development in these movies are something that we're sorely missing today. Um, they, I think, I think uh, you know, blockbusters and, you know, summer blockbusters now, they don't ever want to get to that. They feel like they're boring your audience. And maybe they would. I, I'm not 
one to say maybe they would bore audiences with what yeah. they would what they did in jaws compared to what they do now i don't know but i know that the dialogue is action and jaws just as much as the shark is action oh yeah absolutely and there was there has never been another good really great shark movie no like i guess a yeah. lot of people liked open water and a lot of people like that Blake Lively movie, I guess. Yeah. But neither one of them are and then, in Jaws' and then, lead. And then people sort of ironically love Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Yeah, that's all ironic. Yeah. Because that movie's not good. Right. It's one of LL Cool J's least likable performances, and that's hard to say, because <laughs> yeah. he's, like, super likable. <laughs> I mean, with Jaws, how do you... You really have to work to make something so insular. Like, you could just stay out of the water. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? It's, it's not like the shark... Eventually, I think it can come off the land by Jaws 47 yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, like, uh, you just stay out of the water. But, like, they're just, for whatever reason, just drawn to it, whether they're hunting for it or whether they're, you know, the uh, mayor is pushing for them to open the beaches and everything. Mm-hmm. It forces the action out to there, and that's where the terror comes from. I am, I, I mean, we've, we've, you know, we send to this movie. It was one of those, it was one of those type of things where you're Milk like- water. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of those type of type of movies where you're like, I love sending this movie because I get to watch this movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I do believe that the townspeople saying let's keep the beaches open is a very real thing. Yep. Sure. You know, that's a it, it, we're frustrated at that choice because we know the sharks out there, but they think it's just a you know they don't even really know or they at least they don't want to know yeah, yeah they got to make money if they close the be- the whole town's economy is driven by this beach during right. the summer season and so. you sort of got to take it's sort of like the take the risk to uh to reap the reward and everything it's a bad risk but you know it, well and they kind of want to believe that that other shark was the one right yeah, they yeah, catch a yeah. shark early yep. on and richard dreyfus is like this is not yeah. your guy but the town's just like ah, ah that's the guy let's get back out there yeah there was yeah there's a, there's a lot of like false hope in this and, and even if it was the even if there is a killer shark out there he's surely done now and he'll just leave but yeah this is another movie that's got spielberg you know he apparently watched uh, Duel, his uh, TV movie about the killer truck or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, he apparently watched this all throughout, sort of remembering how he built the suspense and that. You ever seen never seen Duel? By the way, it's a it's a it's a fun movie. Yeah, it is. Um, but uh, but like you know, he he does build suspense very well in this, and and of course it has one of the mo- the luckiest things of all time in that the shark wasn't wasn't cool to look at so he didn't use it <laughs> right. as much in the scenes and so therefore we got to use our imagination more especially when they start throwing those they start getting all those buoys on him yeah and- those aren't buoys <laughs> <laughs> that's the seinfeld episode yes, where yeah. Watley converts to judaism just for the joke ah, <laughs> yes. and he starts telling that raquel welch joke yeah. anyway. <laughs> the three uh, leads in this movie carry it more than any blockbuster i think i've ever seen yeah roy scheider richard dreyfus and robert shaw mm-hmm. are the the scenes of them on the boat where they strike up this unlikely camaraderie is it's it's amazing it's terrific yeah and they all have their own unique but genuine reasons for being there their motivations they Mm -hmm. all have their own pasts that are haunting them Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're very they're three very distinct different individuals here and i think a, a lesser movie would just write three carbon copies of you know generic male one two and three mm-hmm. uh, but they really give us three different dynamic people here who come together 
Uh, and if you don't have any of that, that, like you say, strike up this unlikely conversation, you take all that stuff out of it, this is not the same movie at all. No, and apparently Shaw was uh, in his really big drinking stage during this movie. Like, oh, yeah. It was one of those... Uh, I believe it was one of those performances where they were lucky to get him in on the set and all that type, wow. of, type of things. <laughs> and he was drunk during scenes. Like, I mean, wow. the scenes were especially like they're drinking. Yeah. He's drinking. And um, but man, uh, even if even so, that story he tells about being in the Navy yeah. and like that, you know, the shark attacking their submarine and all that is so riveting yeah like like i want to see that movie yeah. <laughs> don't give me any ideas yeah exactly quint the prequel oh my god you could make an awesome quint movie um, quint the young chronicles yeah <laughs> but sean was in the middle of a like a great like renaissance here like he was in uh the sting and he was in uh i mean it, he was just you know he, he's great in that, mm -hmm. everything even though he had that you know he had, problems yeah um <laughs> this is a boozy movie too yes man. it is like uh, they're drinking all the way throughout this and even uh roy scheider's wife is like want to get drunk and fool around yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yes <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this is uh this is as good as movies get and uh we're going up against rushmore here mm -hmm. uh of course i love rushmore a lot we've already talked about it so what are we going to pick here and All what right. is the what's the order uh so i'll start and it's gotta be jaws baby mm -hmm. i mean it's possible that we'll see a 16 seed overtake a one seed. Ain't going to be here. Nope. Jaws is the number one overall seed for a reason. It is a perfect movie. It's a great horror movie. It's a great comedy. It's a great blockbuster. It's a great action movie. All rolled into one. I watch it at least once a year mm -hmm. around 4th of July, and it never gets old to me. Yeah. Jaws all the way. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you put these two movies side by side. I mean, I'm going to pick Jaws every time, mm. even though Rushmore is my happy place. Yeah. Jaws is, uh, you know, it's just the greatest. It's just one of those greatest type of movies. Yep. And I don't, I don't know how you pick against it here. Yeah. Yep. If, if, if people were able to wager on this bracket in Vegas, picking Jaws to win this bracket would return the least amount of money. <laughs> uh, it's Jaws all the way. Yeah. Um, uh, our first unanimous vote, but yeah. there can be no other option here. Like you said, a, a 16 seed might have an outside shot. It's not going to be this one. Right. Uh, so we have just done it. We did it. Yeah. That's one thing. We did it next done, song. Done. One song in the bank. Yep. Right. There next it is. bracket. All right. So Jaws moves on to the round of 32. Now on to our two versus 15. Now this will be a little bit longer. Yep. Because we haven't talked about these two movies, at least in a while. Die Hard versus Star Wars. Oh, Jesus. I forgot about this. You pairing. know what? It might actually take the rest of the episode. <laughs> I mean, you could not. I mean, both of these movies basically defined a genre for mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. You can't. This is blasphemy. I think Die Hard might have just as much cultural impact as Star Wars. It might mm. now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at the time, and at least for 15, 20 years, Star Wars was this force and we'd, force. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I think you could make an argument that Die Hard set the blueprint for action movies, maybe even still to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, but it certainly did for 20, 30 years. Yeah. And well, it's interesting. I've, I've, I've thought about this this Die Hard thing before. It, it definitely was influential for a while until the comic book movies came in. Yeah. 
and uh, and we start we stopped seeing every man type of uh, action movies, and we started seeing men who became Superman even when they were regular dudes, and that's why I think a lot of action movies are terrible these days, is because. Even in Die Hard's own franchise, yeah. they made John McClane into Superman. Yeah, and uh, but uh, but all the I mean, all these ones that have come out after the comic book craze and everything. I mean, these guys just just survive everything. Mm. Well, and the original Die Hard goes to great lengths to show you how human he is with the whole. Not just the emotional speech about, you know, tell my wife this if I don't make it out, but walking across the glass and yeah. getting his feet all cut up, mm-hmm. and I mean, like. He's not a superhero. No. He goes on to be, um, you know, like Vin Diesel in the Fast and Furious movies. Mm, yep. He's a superhero. Um, but in this first one, he's very, very human. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what sells it. It's There's very few action movies like this that are smart, you know. I mean, and then they really dumb it down in Die Hard 2. But mm. uh, the first one, uh, just, I mean, I just love how he, I mean... We know where he is at all times. You know, I always bring up that scene where he's running around and he sees the naked girls and he knows what level he's on. We know what yeah. level he's on. Um, and then, and then just he knows he's got to pick these guys off. At a, you know, he can't go down there and start blasting away. He has to pick them off one by one or as as many as he can get in one sitting or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, the bad guys are trying to get all this other stuff in position too. And there's and there's that plot to it where it's like you think it's just your everyday terrorist attack. Yep. And it's got more to it and everything, or less to it if you want to really yeah, look at yeah. it. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. I mean, the action is just well. It's just so well done. The dynamic between him and Reginald Val Johnson is great yeah. in this. Um. Yeah. It's just a great movie. One question I had about this: Why didn't they pick a German actor for Hans Gruber? Or at least change his name or his backstory or something like that. Because Alan Hans Rickman... Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Hans Christian and Anderson or something like that. Like, uh, you know, why, why couldn't they have just matched the nationality? And, why did they have to make him and, German? And, you know, at first I was like, well, there, who's a well-known German actor? But then Alan Rickman wasn't a well-known actor. Yeah. Um, but maybe it was one of those things in the audition process that he did so well that they, that he blew away everybody that was actually German who was, you know, auditioning for the role. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't doubt it considering what we see on screen and thank God they did pick Alan Rickman because he's, you know, fantastic. Yeah. He's electric in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like he's almost more engaging than even John McClane is yeah. in many ways. Like he chews every single line. Uh, yeah. I love it so much. Shoot so yeah. the glass. I don't know. I guess they just couldn't find... I mean, I'm, my only guess is they, they probably tried because they did put in you know some German actors yeah. as his henchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that some others tried and they just weren't they weren't good enough. Yeah. They either didn't you know know the lines well enough or they just didn't give that same kind of performance that he did. And this is, uh, I mean, this is the arrival of Bruce Willis, even though Moonlighting had gotten him, uh, you know, American audiences and everything knew him from that. Mm -hmm. This put him on the absolute map. Well, and who would have looked at him in Moonlighting and thought, this guy's an action star? Right. Right. (laughs) The way I felt about it, even back then, I was like... 11 i didn't i wasn't allowed to watch this movie uh but i remember i remember knowing moonlighting and like and then he was in this i was like really even at 11 (laughs) you know uh but yeah uh i mean this is just all great yeah 
And it goes against Star Wars A New Hope. It goes against Star Wars A New Hope. Now, obviously, I mean, what has what has there not been said about Star Wars? <laughs> I mean, this is... Um, is this the best Star Wars? No. No. Empire Strikes Back Empire is the is best, best. one. Yeah. Although, there are people who like New Hope better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I don't think that's a small crowd. Those people are wrong, but they exist. <laughs> but I don't think that's a small crowd. I agree. Of people, I agree. Um, I, I have a few friends I think that like Star Wars: A New Hope better than Empire. I mean, because it's kind of like what we were talking about the last time, where a franchise gets saddled with its baggage after the fact, mm-hmm. and there's we've got so much Star Wars since 1977. Mm-hmm. But when this came out, I mean, it had gone against all these cheesy sci-fi epics that had tried to do space operas and stuff like that. And then you finally get one that just nails it with the, you know, the the casting and with the story. George Lucas comes in with this sense of wonderment with Spielberg's backing and everything. It's I I wasn't alive at this point, but to be like a, a teenager when this comes out, like that just had to have blown your mind. Yeah, I mean, you get to see that kind of in that '70s show, yeah, where they, yeah. you know, like even though you get they can't really draw on their own experiences or yeah. anything, but to like that's that they did that an episode where yeah. they. Finally- What's interesting to me is I think most of the things that you can say um, on the negative side about A New Hope are only able to be said because of the what Star Wars movies have done since then, mm-hmm. right? Because I can look at A New Hope today, and when Obi-Wan is fighting Darth Vader, I'm, I'm like dying to like say, swing that thing, man! Yeah. What are you tapping it for? This is like babies fighting. <laughs> right. And that's not the movie's fault. Yeah, It's the subsequent movies where lightsaber battles get a lot more, mostly the prequels is what I'm talking about mm-hmm. here, where we see fucking Yoda flipping around yeah. like a little Mexican jumping bean. And, you know, that sort of undoes what we've seen already and makes it feel a little weak. Or you could say, like, Luke's a little whiny in this movie. Yeah. Okay, but only in comparison to the following movies where he's not whiny. But, yeah. Well, and and to, to the point about uh, how he's fighting this, he is an old man. And we haven't seen, like, I mean, I guess we see Dooku later with Christopher Lee, like, going crazy. He's not like Obi-Wan, whatever. But, um, but but I, I feel like he is an old man who's out of practice and that's at least how you can explain it or whatever. Not Vader's side of that it, fight it, though. No, no. Yeah. Especially now that we've got the rogue one and we see what he did before that right. in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then he gets to Obi-Wan guy. He really wants to kill. And he's just like love tapping. Yeah. Him. Like it's, I don't want to break this pinata just yet. Right. That's correct. Um, and then, break this pinata. you know, it's, it's a miracle. This movie, uh, uh connected really, because yeah. you, think about and, and and i've read a whole bunch on you know the easy riders raging bulls book and all that other type of stuff you know the script has all these characters that think about this when you first ever see something that's c3po and <laughs> r2d2 and yeah. all these and and the first 20 minutes of this movie is just is the first 20 minutes of this movie are borderline awful <laughs> <laughs> after you get past the the opening action scene think about it all that stuff with the droids on Tatooine is that what you're talking about no like Luke being whiny uh, the you know going to get some power converters all that other stuff and like I just imagine what audiences were thinking like you know they had to have seen the trailer where they're like oh yeah well (laughs) this this is the prelude to all the awesome badass stuff I saw in the trailer which was probably like five minutes long or something back then (laughs) 
Um, but uh, but then yeah, once they get into the the Moss Eisley Cantina and yeah. all that, that's where it starts getting really interesting and. And it really just moves from there. There's really no wet up after that. You can that. make the argument Han Solo is the propellant for this movie then, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's when he shows up that everything kind of starts getting interesting and cool. Right, mm-hmm. right. And uh, and so, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's that that window where in the desert, it's just kind of like, I don't know, man. And, all right, he sees a, he's finding the old man and... And, uh, you know, there's like a lot of bad stuff here, but then boom, it's just, it just moves from Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, but once it, and once it moves, hell, holy crap, does yeah. it move? So what is going to win out of this group? I don't know. I, I really do think the reason that I asked if this was the best Star Wars, and it was in all honesty, I do like Empire the best, but I think there is a very good ch- case to be made that this is a, an amazing Star Wars movie that gets almost lost to time. Mm-hmm. because of how much has been piled upon it i mean mm-hmm. you know this is the propellant for an enormous one of the biggest movie franchises of all time yeah well um, and tonally it's completely different than empire i'm not always in an empire mood or yeah. mind frame where i'm like i want to get deep for a while yeah. in space yeah sometimes i just want to have fun i just want to yeah. romp yeah. yeah i might still turn to the ewoks personally before i went back to new hope for that but yeah i could see it yeah all right, all right Chris, so uh you're the voter you're oh, the I'm the first the, voter. You're the yep. man. Right off the bat, huh? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the movie that I think is smarter, and it's going to be Die Hard ah. in this case. Um, and and it's not like... I'm, I'm, I make that choice like it was easy. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not easy at all. Uh, Star Wars still, to this day, ha- it, and, and if you want to compare movies as far as dramatic uh, pull... Star Wars beats Die Hard on that mm-hmm. every time, especially the little sigh he 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 gives as soon as he hits the the spot without the tracking system yeah. and everything. Shoots that thing, it goes in there. You're not even quite sure it went in there right off the bat, and then he's just like, <sighs> you know. <laughs> and then it's 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 beautiful. But Die Hard has so many great action scenes, well staged great acting all the way throughout a, a tremendous plot i can't pick against it nice yeah die hard wins die hard wins um, and it's a lot easier for me than i think it was for chris mm-hmm. uh because i i get it i get that you don't have empire or anything that came after it if you don't have a new hope um but uh i just don't think a new hope is is as quality from start to finish as something like die hard is yeah i can't point to a performance in Die Hard and go, that's an unseasoned actor who stands out to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't point to any 20-minute stretches of Die Hard where I'm like, that's boring and borderline terrible. Right. Like, I can't think of anything like that. <laughs> right. Um, Die Hard is just as close to perfect as movies can get. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, boy, are we going to piss off some people here. That, that, that's going <laughs> to piss off some people. Uh, we would have pissed off a lot of people, to be to be honest, if we'd picked Star Wars here, That's too. the point yeah. of this whole goddamn bracket. <laughs> right. So. so for those people who are not uh, used to the NCAA bracket, when you pick the higher seed, it's called Chalk. Mm-hmm. And so far, the first two picks are Chalk. I'm going with Die Hard, yeah. too. So. Rock chalk. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. I mean, this is, a, it's a tough one, but if it, and I would have really liked to have seen what happened if Die Hard went against Empire. That would have yeah, been a lot yeah, tougher yeah. for me. We may still have that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but like, yeah. I mean, Star Wars has, it, what hurts it in a matchup like this is that it does have bad spots. Right. We forgive the bad stuff yep. because of what we see later. 
And a lot of people can forget. People forgive those bad spots. Yeah. What do you mean bad spots? What do you mean? I, don't, I didn't see any bad spots. Yeah. It does. Yes. It has some bad spots. <laughs> yeah. The worst spot I can think of in all of Die Hard is that joke the black and white agents say about how they're not related. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Because yeah. they have the same last name. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty bad joke. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. forgive it because I think there are probably people like that in the world. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, bracket me. All right, so the three seed versus the 14. Silence of the Lambs, three seed, Finding Nemo. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, is right. <laughs> wow. Again, we're getting into movies that are completely yeah. different. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs, horror thriller. Mm-hmm. Finding Nemo, uh, horror comedy. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Proving my point. Um, so let's get into Silence of the Lambs a little bit here. I know some people who don't like Silence of the Lambs. Are you really? It's 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 kind of odd. Like, um, what I, is I, the reasoning behind there not is, liking Silence of the Lambs? Uh, go find it. Find the Siskel and Ebert review. I believe it was Gene Siskel who did not like this movie. Really? As much as Ebert did. Huh. Actually, I think he gave this a thumb down. I'm not sure. Wow. Uh, he th- I don't remember his reasoning. I have seen the episode. Uh, I don't remember his reasoning for this. But there are people who don't like it for whatever reason. And I, I don't get it. I, I've watched Silence of the Lambs more than ten times yeah. probably. Yeah um it always is gripping to me the way jonathan demi directs this movie um i i he he does this in a lot of his movies but when characters are are speaking directly at the camera mm-hmm. but still somehow not looking into the camera mm-hmm. it's it gets you into those those things and it, he does it a ton of course in this with anthony hopkins and jody foster and then a lot of the minor characters in there get that get that camera right on them scene yeah. you know where they're talking and stuff and you're like wow it's gripping and i love these mysteries man yeah 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 this is a great mystery um uh i don't quite understand how hannibal lecter can come up with all this information yeah well that's that's his, his thing <laughs> it is it is it's kind of bullshit but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh still uh i i do like the fact that that you know that jody foster is 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 basically even though she's um young and like not you know not uh, experienced and all that other type of stuff she's very smart mm-hmm. and uh you know and she uncovers all this stuff that's just you know and it's the it's it's kind of like in seven where you know like mills brad pitt is going into this hor- grisly murder on his first job basically yeah. Yeah. and uh and everything like just imagine throwing them into something like this like this is into the fire you don't think it's going to be a big deal you don't think you're going to you don't think you're going to be successful when you put somebody like that yeah, on a case. That's the dynamic. That's why it makes this so successful as a book and then as a movie. I would say it's a great book, by the way, but the movie hands down beats this book. Um, you were talking about Hannibal Lecter or, or those characters looking into the camera. None more iconic than Anthony Hopkins when he's, you know, and that final stare down with Clarice mm-hmm. and he's getting this backstory about the West Virginia and the lambs. And what are the lambs, Clarice? Mm-hmm. Quid pro quo. And mm-hmm. he's looking, you know, with these hooded eyes just directly at her. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just mesmerizing, you know? And the fact that she had to have that little experience, that's why Scott Glenn's character sends her in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because otherwise, it would never have worked with anybody that had a clue of what they were doing or what thought they knew what they were doing. Um, 
And because of this, because of that dynamic, this mystery is solved eventually, even though he's playing around with her. And it just works so great. I, it, it, it's such a great pairing between those Most two. Most actors go their entire careers without getting a role this good and hitting it out of the park this good, like Anthony Hopkins does mm-hmm. as Hannibal Lecter, right? This is a career-defining performance. Mm-hmm. No matter what he does from here on out, when he's gone from us, God help I hope that doesn't happen for a really long time. Yeah. This will be the movie he's most remembered for. Absolutely. And deservingly so. He is fucking skin-crawlingly creepy in yep. this movie. I mean, so many so many thrillers and horror movies, and especially these TV show procedurals, try to achieve creepy through character details, mm-hmm. right? Oh, he's eating blood or whatever. Like they'd, He's just fucking creepy yeah. because mm-hmm. I'm convinced that Anthony Hopkins let himself get possessed by a demon before this movie was made. Because yeah. I just, he, every single scene he's in, you feel the evil. Yeah. You feel it. Oh, absolutely. God, it's, such a good movie. I mean, it, start, it, it gets your imagination going immediately when she has to go down that hallway of killers, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And it, semen throwers. It's semen throwers, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe that's why uh, Siskel didn't like the movie. Maybe. Um, but uh, It had a touch too much semen throwing. That's for me. right. That's right. <laughs> that would permeate all of his reviews until, you know, there's something about married and like probably. And, don't breathe. Yeah, don't breathe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I th- you know, The Silence of the Lambs has got this great mystery to it, but it's also got... Uh, a stunning climax where he's been moved to this other prison i i always i can't can't do anything while that is on by oh now. yeah like i can't i have to stay there glued to my couch yeah. or whatever i'm sitting in at the time <laughs> to watch that scene because of how he gets how he gets out and and escapes and everything is great um i also love the i guess that would be the um the penultimate scene of that mm. movie because then after that it's i love how you know you have scott glenn and everybody going after this guy they think is the guy they're looking for and then they realize it's not the one and she's going towards the real one yep. yeah and scott glenn is like starling yeah. and then it's just like <laughs> boom you're like oh crap she's in you know she's in the hornet's nest she's in buffalo bill's place you know um so yeah this is i mean this is gripping from the beginning Mm -hmm. and it's uh it's gonna be hard to beat but we got finding nemo finding nemo a movie i have often called perfect Mm -hmm. yeah this is gonna be pretty hard (laughs) because i i think signs of the lambs is awesome yeah i don't think it's perfect i don't Mm. think it's close to perfect Mm -hmm. um some accents in there don't quite work for me Mm -hmm. a couple characters a little over the top that prison warden oh Yeah. yeah like his entire character description in the script must mean be skeezy times 10. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the same scene we're going to get the semen throwing in. I don't need the extra skis. Uh, but Finding Nemo uh, punches you in the gut in mm. the first three minutes mm-hmm. when basically Nemo's mom, Marlon's wife, and all of Nemo's hundreds of brothers and sisters are killed by a barracuda, which is very natural. This is probably a thing that happens. I don't know. I don't know about clownfish, but I know barracudas eat eggs and shit. Um, And it's just so, he finds this one little baby, Nemo, the name that he wanted, and it's a cracked egg, and he goes down and grabs it and shelters it and protects it, and we pan up and see the moon coming down to the water, and that fucking score is perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's... God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I know. These are Um, completely different movies. What a great adventure with great characters. We Mm. talked when Aaron Dicer was here last about finding Dory and how Dory doesn't necessarily make a great 
you know, protagonist, main character who's on screen carrying the film. Uh, great side character in Finding Nemo. That's mm-hmm. the perfect place for Dory. Yeah. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres nails that as well as anyone in the cast. I just, I love that movie. I can't, I can't think of anything to genuinely critique that movie about. What a run from Pixar. I mean, we talked about it before, but this one-two punch of Finding Nemo and The Incredibles oh, yeah. back-to-back is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And both movies, when I saw the trailer, I was like, all right, maybe you're getting a little outside what I care about. And then both of those, like, two of my favorite movies ever. (laughs) Uh, And this was at that point where I I decided, okay, whatever they do, I'm in. And then they put out the trailer for, like, Wally, And I was just like, that looks goofy, but I'm in. And, you know, for a good five in a row, they didn't let me down. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Finding Nemo is just a beautiful movie. Like, this is when their animation is getting really complex. Mm-hmm. They actually, I believe they um, actually studied actual aquatic life they and did. made sure to get it a, down to a T, basically. <sighs> That's the level of detail that you need in this mm, type of thing. Yeah, you know? and and uh, and so so they ha- they got all the things right, basically. Um, and then, yeah, I mean the the whole thing when he gets he gets you know in the aquarium and he he meets all these he's these friends and everything that's where the movie really starts taking it up another level yeah. and everything willem defoe's great in that mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's just it's one it's just a i mean it's just beautiful and great and well done i don't know what else to say much about it other than that yeah i think uh my favorite part is when the <laughs> The seagulls are after them, and they're about to get them, and the pelican guy, Jeffrey Rush, comes up, and he's like, hop inside my mouth (laughs) if you want to live. (laughs) I say that randomly pretty regularly to my wife, (laughs) because there are lots of contexts in daily life where it doesn't make any sense. Like, I forget what it... I think we saw a car accidentally. We were at Starbucks and like there was a fender bender or something and everybody like gasped and I go, hop inside my mouth <laughs> if you want to live. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Guys, we got to love the detail that's in this, though. I mean, beyond the fact that they're, the animation is is fantastic, but just all the little things like the hey, yeah. hey, <laughs> and all that. And then like the mine. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the, that That's... You know, that's the biggest laugh for me in the whole movie is just when they accidentally stumble on that and then you just see him and you're like, and he's like, mine? (laughs) (laughs) And this uh, starts that great accidental tradition of directors doing the voices for characters because Andrew Stanton was just doing Crush as a Mm -hmm. fill-in until they cast an actor to do Crush, but everybody thought it was so freaking funny. (laughs) And then Brad Bird does the same thing with Edna Mode in The Incredibles. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I just I love I love those little details. The Finding Nemo is one of the few DVDs that when I bought it, I went through every single bonus thing, which you know showed all the footage of them researching all the aquatic life <laughs> and all the early attempts at water drawing and whatnot, mm-hmm. and you know little factoids like Andrew Stanton accidentally casting himself as Crush because <laughs> yeah. he did such a good job. And, nice. and yeah, and we've got a great voice work from Albert Brooks here. He's I mean he's as home run as it gets when yeah. it comes to cartoons and. And you can watch any of the episodes of The Simpsons where he's a guest star, and they're oh, all Jesus. classics. Yep. Um, but uh, or the movie, yeah, or the movie, yeah. Uh, so uh, if you want to have somebody who's your your main protagonist coming through, this is the guy you want. Yeah, yeah. Nothing against Ellen DeGeneres. I just think the character itself is not something that you put in as a main. Well, and Marlon's flaw makes sense narratively, and and Dory's character flaw, her ten minute memory, doesn't. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe her 
her issues with missing her parents do. But Marlon is overprotective. Like mm. The whole point of this movie is him learning not to be so protective. Because if you protect too much, your kid never gets to have any experiences. And that it's that way... I think that that kind of a lesson transcends parenting, yeah. right? Because, you know, I'm I'm one of these people that, you know, I have anxiety issues. I don't always want to leave the house. Mm. But if I'm constantly trying to protect myself by staying in the house, I'm never going to have any experiences. I'm going to blink. My life is over. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's part of why this movie affected me so deeply. Um, but I, I, at this very moment, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> well, you're up. You're the first. I'm vote. the guy. Yep. Ah, Finding Nemo. Ah, Mm. upset pick. I can't believe it because of everything we said. And Hopkins is so iconic Mm. in Silence of the Lambs. Um, But I can can find fault with it. And Mm -hmm. I can't with Nemo. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to be upset guy. But there you go. No, that's a that's good reasoning. No, I mean, this is tailor made for a you know, a heart versus head pick and like kind of just a, a weird juxtaposition between these two. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Thomas Harris, uh, when he wrote Silence of the Lambs and um, Red Dragon and Hannibal and everything, he came up with this brilliant character who was a brilliant psychologist, psychiatrist. But to inject the life into this character, you needed somebody with the stature of Anthony Hopkins, who had a great career up until then. Absolutely. Right? And really just almost based on his performance alone, uh, I would vote for this. You're right. There there are some times where it's not, you know, perfect. Uh, but I think the pacing is perfect. I think uh, the way that they... Uh, he's only on screen. Hopkins is only on it's screen like 16 for... 16 minutes. Yeah, for very few. But he infects the entire movie. He does. He's he's kind of there in every scene, yeah, even though yeah, yeah. he's not yeah. physically. And uh, so, yeah, I've got to pick Silence of the Lambs. I'm telling you, he's, Nemo. he's so good in that role that I'll watch Hannibal or Red Dragon if it's on. Yeah. <laughs> Just because he elevates those movies, another actor couldn't do it. Well, you saw it in, in Manhunter when Brian Cox did Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Good performance, mm-hmm. but it wasn't anywhere near what we got. And another Brian amazing Hopkins. actor, too. Yeah. yeah. It's just a, a, Hopkins did something next level-ish here. The thing about Anthony Hopkins is kind of like what I was talking about with uh, Jeffrey Wright uh, last week when we were doing the uh, the um, the casting of yeah. Batman. Uh, everything that he says is something that you you are just in tune to the entire time. It's it, part of it's the mystery, but part of you know part of it is who is this guy mm-hmm. and how does he think and how does he tick and everything. So like everything he says, you're just on every word. Like every word seems to have meaning. I have to, I'm in a trance with this guy. I think you're right about there being some flaw in silence of the lambs and that finding Nemo doesn't really have any, but silence of the lambs is a better movie. Mm-hmm. Isn't and that's, that's the weird dynamic we're in here. Finding mm-hmm. Nemo probably doesn't have any flaws, but it's not as good as this movie. Mm-hmm. So silence of the lambs. Is Fair, enough. Silence yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All yeah. right. How many we do? We, we do three. Uh, we did three. Let's do one more, and, and then, then we'll, some questions. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad we can get to this next one because this one's fun. Yeah, L.A. Confidential four seed versus Sideways thirteen. Oh Ooh, yeah. God damn it. This uh, God this is damn rough. it. This is absolutely <laughs> rough. Um. Okay. So, L.A. Confidential. I still to this day in 1997 feel like it should have won Best Picture yeah. over Titanic. Problem is, L.A. Confidential hadn't quite made the impact. I mean, Titanic was as impactful as Mm -hmm. it gets. Um, L.A. Confidential, even though it was a much better movie than Titanic was, just, I mean, I don't think it was a big hit. And I, I, you know, and there was not many people talking about it, I guess, or whatever. But when you look at 
the achievement this is and you you know you read the silence of the lambs book and and they made that into a better you know made the movie better yeah. la confidential james elroy's book is like 500 something pages and it's dynamite mm. great great book the movie's still better than the book <laughs> and uh and it's uh and it's hard it it i mean that's a that's a tough book to adapt and it's an, an amazing achievement uh, talk about your great mystery plots mm -hmm. and uh, everything. Is, in the book, it spanned decades, and this one, it spans like a few years or whatever. But um, to get all that on screen with as many characters there are, and they're all got their own little things. James Cromwell's great. Russell Crowe, yeah. uh, before he was really well-known in one of his best performances, Guy Pierce. Before is, he was really well-known. Before known. he was well-known. It was even before Kevin Spacey was the man right because right. it was pre-american beauty and i think that's where he sort of became a legend mm -hmm. yeah like he's nearing bill murray christopher walken status now yeah, yeah he uh, had won an oscar by this point but you're right i don't think he was like i don't think spacey was spacey yet right and then kim basinger wins the oscar for this uh i, th I think she's good in it i don't know if she w yeah. needed to get the oscar but danny devito is great yep. in this and uh and david strathairn yeah yeah david strathairn is really good in this i mean it's, it's awesome yeah everybody's got great little characters and everything these you know these little details about the night owl massacre night owl uh, shooting yeah and uh you know all this stuff and the hookers that are cut to look like stars yeah. and and all that like somehow they cut they connect to a hole you don't quite get there and then finally yeah you get russell crowe the badass versus guy pierce the guy who really wants to do good yep having to team up by the Great end of ass it. gunfight at the end yes yeah. uh which you know you say it's like a, a shack and it doesn't sound like it's going to be a great like i think it's a hotel of yeah, some kind it's with a hotel. standalone mm. shack rooms mm. uh fantastic floorboards yeah. come into play right uh really really good shit yeah uh god i love this movie so much but then it's going up against fucking sideways yeah sideways <laughs> which is uh you know a deeply emotional you know trek through this you know yeah uh i love by the way i love the fact that this movie is a bachelor party movie yeah <laughs> yeah essentially yeah. it is <laughs> i mean you have all these things like the hangover and bachelor party where it's all zany stuff and comedy broad comedy and this has elements of that sure it has the screwball stuff it's got the sex obsessed friend and everything mm -hmm. but when you put something like that in the hands of somebody as talented as alexander payne and paul giamatti you talk about injecting life and heart into something this elevates it to a, a type of movie that I, I hadn't seen to this point no and it's it what fascinates me is how much how likable it makes paul giamatti's character because he's he's not super likable yeah right like yeah. you're rooting for him by the end but in the first 10 minutes you see him steal cash from his mom yeah. while she's yeah. downstairs talking to mm -hmm. his friend uh he's not a good guy mm -hmm. he's a lovable loser he teaches junior high um i mean he's schlubby he's depressed he has anxiety he's mm -hmm. the only thing he lights up about is wine mm -hmm. um and you know, then eventually Virginia Madsen yeah. lights him up. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's a great scene that they have between them because they're talking about wine, but they're also talking about themselves. Right. Um, Thomas Hayden Church in this is just so fantastic. The chick was married, man. Yeah. <laughs> my husband works the night shift and came home early and found me with my cock and his wife's ass on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much in this and there's and he's not a great guy either but 
but there's, I mean, the part at the beginning before they're even on this trip together and everything, he's wanting to get Paul Giamatti laid and everything. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what you need, man, is get your joint worked off. <laughs> you know, that, that line is just classic to me he's got the right attitude though like he's a he's an asshole mm. but his outlook on life is optimistic and mm. positive in the whole movie he's trying to get giamatti to be more positive giamatti may have the better moral behavior down but his life outlook is shit like yeah. it's depressing as hell i would rather lead thomas hayden church's life you know and at least believe i'm gonna have fun tomorrow yeah whereas giamatti's character gets to points in this movie where it's just like it's never gonna get any yeah. better than this He's it's so it's so, so this movie has so many surprising performances because paul giamatti had done american splendor and a mm -hmm. few things before uh to tell you he's a great actor but he wasn't on this level like leading man type of no. level and thomas hayden church was lol on wings we yeah. had no idea that he had these deaths sandra O oh made her yeah. you know pretty much debut in this um, where you know for for wide audiences before yeah. Grey's Anatomy, and Virginia Madsen like it, it really thrust these four character these four actors you know into the forefront and showed how great they are. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you you mentioned Sandra O. Oh. I, I had known of her for a while. I don't know how close to this being her debut it was, but I remember her being in a movie called Double Happiness, which was like in the nineties or something like that. Hmm. Um. I, I remember enjoying it. I hardly remember anything about it, but she was. It good. only gave you single happiness. Yeah, it gave me single happiness. <laughs> it might have been one of those movies where, like, the bell court, like, some something happened to the movie, and I didn't get to see the rest of it, something <laughs> like that. One of those weird things. Uh, but uh, but I remember her being in that. Um, anyway, yeah, Sideways is is fantastic, and uh, and Alexander Payne at the top of his game. Everybody's at the top of their game here. Virginia Madsen was. I mean. She was in nothing really notable, like mm. the hot spot, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she was like, she'd never give, been given a chance like this before. Mm. And she knocks it out of the park. But now we're going up against LA Confidential. Jesus so that's, that's another style versus heart. No, I don't know. I mean, or head versus heart, because that movie, LA Confidential, is so smart. Everything ties in together, mm -hmm. all the characters weave in with each other. Um, I don't think it has certainly the, I don't know. It doesn't have the pathos that, that sideways. No, does. I mean, these but characters are so different. These characters don't have nearly the sort of the revelations yeah. to their own character. Really? I mean, maybe they do. Yeah, I don't that know. It might be it's, a bad thing to say. It's uh, I, I'm going to ultimately select sideways for my vote. Okay. Uh, in an upset, but it's a really, really difficult. This is probably the, the toughest one so far for me mm -hmm. because it's, it's so close because LA Confidential is so fucking brilliant. And mm -hmm. I want to see it move on to do, you know, go against somebody else, but I can't go against Sideways. Uh, I feel like, uh, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, LA Confidential is going to win this one. And this one is, as much as I love the two movies, I don't think it's even close in my mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, LA Confidential is is just just absolutely dynamite all the way through it. I've said mm -hmm. that already. But, like, it's just absolutely uh one of the best movies of the 90s, and I would wager to say it's got to be in my top 30 to 50 of all time, mm -hmm. if, if if not higher. Uh, so I'm going to go with LA Confidential here. Nice. Wow. <laughs> A lot of pressure. <sighs> all right, I'm not going to. I'm going to resist the temptation to ask what the seed numbers are again because that would sort of be cheating. I need to just answer. 
What's funny is that they could be reversed and it would be perfectly plausible. All right. Uh, LA Confidential is unimpeachable. Mm-hmm. It is action crime drama at its very best. It's better than Heat. It's better than The Town. Uh, it's up there with all the great crime action movies. Mm-hmm. But I am unable to sever my connection to Giamatti's character in Sideways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I fell in love with wine, it was for Pinot Noir. That's what he likes to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to get a book published, has a really sad phone call with his agent. I didn't have a phone call like that, but I've had those conversations. Um, and, you know, I, I have always felt like everybody has self-esteem issues where at certain times in your life you view yourself as a loser or more of a loser than you should be or wish you were. Yeah. Uh, and it's that that he's so encapsulated. He's so resigned to his fate. Right. Like mm. he loses it and drinks out of the spit bucket when he finds out his novel's not going to be published. But he's already resigned to that fate. Mm. He's already accepted that he's nothing and he's never going to be anything. And the only thing that ever gives him any hope in this entire movie is Virginia Manson, a mm. chance at an actual real connection with a human being again. I got. A, I'm voting sideways, and I'm sorry. I really, really feel apologetic to Chris <laughs> right now. This is a massive <laughs> fucking upside. I fucking is. love LA Confidential. Yeah, uh, me too. I really do. But this movie, Sideways, has bored into my soul, mm. and uh, it's not coming. out. What I was about to say was, I think this is going to go sideways. <laughs> I, um, before I cast my vote, uh, I, but I did not want to unduly influence anything when I said that. <laughs> um so yeah i feel like that's a massive upset yeah. i disagree with it completely yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. but sideways moves on Are, uh, is that an upset then oh that's a huge that's upset a huge. that's a 13 over a four. Oh, oh they're storming the court yeah. yeah that's a that's a that's a tremendous upset so that will be the first half of of the north bracket yep uh, we went chalk. Now, the one thing I do like about Sideways winning is that we didn't go chalk all the way through. Yep. So it wasn't one, two, three, four. We have a one, two, three, thirteen. Yep. <laughs> That's it, baby. And That's it. Uh, so we didn't. We did not pick the higher seed there. Uh, I, Chris is wistfully looking at his LA Confidential poster right now. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't know that was going to happen. Like I, I haven't looked at these since last week. I didn't even remember that matchup. That's a devastating loss. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, let's go on to the uh, the questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. So the one that we'll start with is the one that I'm most excited about. Um, listener uh, writes in, somewhat inspired by Chris's all-black recast of Star Wars, mm-hmm. take your favorite movie of all time and recast it entirely gender-swapped. What an interesting concept Yeah, this absolutely. Is. Um, so my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future, and of course it's yeah. in our bracket. Yes, it is. So Number that's one gonna, seed. It's going to be, you know, obviously <laughs> we know where I'm going to be going on most of these, <laughs> although who knows? There still could be some movies, even though Back to the Future is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I might find other movies better than. Yeah, there is a way that you can think that way. But anyway, Back to the Future is my favorite movie of all time, and um, it's weird. I don't know of very many people, the actors these days, who were the age of Michael J. Fox back in. Michael J. Fox was twenty four when he did Back to the Future. All right. Um, and he could, he could believably play a high school student, even though we know he's a little bit older. A lot of the actors that ended up coming up with are older than Michael J. Fox was back then. But maybe if I were able to cast this five or six years ago, Mm. 
I would get these actors. Some of the actors who are like 23, 24 nowadays, I don't know can fit into that Marty McFly role or that mm. Doc Brown role or any of these roles. So uh, I'm just going to wing it here. And if you guys disagree, you know. Wing it, baby. I disagree. Oh, wait, you haven't started. Yeah. <laughs> so Marty, I have Emma Stone as Marty. Oh, oh great. So we, you know, uh, we don't know what we're calling these characters yet. Maybe, maybe, I don't know if we. Could be Marty. Yeah, could be Marty. Yeah. I might as well be. Um, I, I, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox's performance in this is outstanding. Like, I don't think, I don't know how much credit he gets for Back to the Future. Not enough. Um, we we talk about like you know the, all the cool stuff about Back to the Future, but Michael J. Fox's comic timing, yeah, is is legendary. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and uh, and he's just the way he like sort of like goes through his stammering and all of his you know his you know delivery and everything is uh, just a wonder to behold and so of all the actresses that i can think of that are you know around that age that can do that believably it's emma stone yeah especially after we saw her in la la land but easy a is another good is another good reference point and even super bad is a good reference Mm -hmm. point even though she doesn't get much to do in that um I, I, well, and, spe- and, and you know, I guess the, uh, the the house bunny or whatever, yep. she's really good in that. So I think she could believably pull off a Marty McFly because she's got enough of that goofiness to her yeah. that she could do it. Um, for Doc Brown, uh, and here's another thing, who's an older actress who's around the, you know, the age of Christopher Lloyd? Now, we can still do wonderful things with makeup. Yeah. And so I picked Kate McKinnon for Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> you could see shades of it in that Ghostbusters you could. remake. In yeah. fact, that's when I was sort of referencing yeah. back when I was writing this down. It was like Kate McKinnon could do a, an extremely believable Doc Brown, yeah. I believe. And if you give her the right amount of makeup and everything. And yeah, she's in Ghostbusters. She's yeah. almost Doc Brown yeah. a couple of times. Um uh yeah not quite as old as lloyd was lloyd was um what was he he was 47 oh yeah when he was in back to the future which played played, much older yeah played much older and mckinnon's only 33 so um not not quite as old but i think we do the wonders with makeup and everything she'd be a great doc brown yeah um biff tannen was a tough one yeah um and uh and thomas f wilson i believe was he's 26 when he did back to the future so um so the again, who's an actress around that age? And again, we don't need to have them at that age or anything. But uh, who could believably do Biff Tannen? And I really picked, uh, I think, a top shelf actress here, Evan Rachel Wood, oh. playing oh, oh, Biff yeah. Tannen, uh, because Evan Rachel Wood's got that got that face and that look that and people who are really familiar with her with Westworld probably oh she's really sweet and everything but she was also in true blood where mm-hmm. she was a really evil person yeah. on that and that's more of my reference point was was her was her and a lot of the stuff she's been in she's angrier like uh, the wrestler yep. or that movie 13 yep. uh, yeah. she could play she's not as, as physically intimidating as biff in the real movie right. was but 
attitude and face, she could totally be a bully. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, exactly. And that's the way I was looking at it. Now, yeah, I did consider Ronda Rousey. That was the that was the funny thing <laughs> because awesome. because if you think about it, yeah, I mean that's who we would cast as our female bully in a lot of these movies, and uh-huh. Jack, she's been cast that way. Hey, neighbors, too cast Chloe Grace Moritz as the bully. Yeah, <laughs> that's true <laughs> for um, some reason. So, um, so yeah, I think she would be really good at that. Um. George McFly. Now we're talking another. Now Crispin Glover was like twenty three, I think. Yeah, when he, wow. When he played, uh, when he played George McFly, and I'll make sure of that real quick. And so, so again, age is kind of a. It's kind of a. He was twenty one. That's the guy that I was. He was three years younger than three years Michael younger J. than Fox? Michael J. Fox. Holy shit! I did not know wow. any of this stuff. Did you? I knew that they were young. I didn't know they were that young. Yeah, wow. and they and they you know believably made them look older yeah. and everything um and uh so yeah he was only 21 so uh, really you have an age range here where you can pick somebody who's actually that old who can play younger or mm. somebody who's younger that we'd have to make up and everything uh i have anna kendrick playing george mcfly wow huh. and uh, the reason why is is that i think she can believably play nerdy yeah and uh and and do the goofy thing george mcfly is a goofy ass character he's goofy um and i believe anna kendrick could pull that off now really honestly you could do it you could switch anna kendrick and emma stone i can't i want to see this movie now (laughs) because those two actresses would be in it yeah uh but anna kendrick uh i mean either one of them i think could play marty or george can you imagine those scenes where they're like out there like on, on the laundry line and everything and yeah. they're going back and forth that'd be awesome oh yeah absolutely so i've got i've got her there uh now she anna kendrick is in, now in her early 30s so it's a it's a you know but she could believably play younger or a high school student i think yeah, yeah. still um and then for lorraine baines mcfly i have zach efron playing the uh remember leah thompson was gorgeous yeah she was a heartthrob yeah Yeah. uh was super gorgeous back then and and uh and i think you know it's weird zach efron came onto the scene with high school musical and it was easy to sort of dismiss him but i think he's actually a decent actor yeah he was pretty funny in Neighbors. That's yeah. my second Neighbors franchise reference That's in five right. minutes. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I think he could, I mean, you could make him up to look like a sad sack uh, in the uh, 1985 before he goes back in the past. But then he's going to be like, you know, the heartthrob guy that is going to believably seduce Emma Stone when she wakes up in the bed in that in that scene. Yeah, Entering. what's interesting about that is you think about that eventual car scene that's just creepy on so many levels. Yeah, you could see Emma Stone holding up to that, mm-hmm. you know, to where it didn't go too far into the pervy side of it, where she would play it more as comedy. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, now the movies just completely change though. Once you do this <laughs> this type of thing to it, I mean, a lot of the dynamics of this movie get changed. Um, but those are the people I think could believably enter those roles. Nice. nice. I like it. Yeah. All right. I have one that's completely male that I'm turning completely female. All there's right. no female characters in this movie that I know of that have any note. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is Rambo First Blood. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> it's actually First Blood. Um, but uh, it's, I was thinking like it, you could probably make the, a case for this to, to gender swap it and make it believable. So. Obviously, the main thing that you want to find is the John Rambo character. And I was just watching Edge of Tomorrow recently, and Emily Blunt would be a great Mm, Rambo. Yeah, she would. 
So she is going to be my Rambo. Now, if you remember, First Blood is before all the crazy Rambo stuff happens where he goes to Vietnam and starts turning into like, you know, people into bullet sponges and all that stuff. This is him out in the wilderness, the Pacific Northwest, surviving. And Just going trying to, this, to live this his life. Just trying to, to live his life. Not doing anybody any harm. Yep. He's got he's got some stuff behind him. Like he's got some uh, he's got some sadness behind those eyes. Yeah. And Emily Blunt can play that type of character. She's mm-hmm. a great actress. Yep. Oh she's man, a, you're making me think of Looper. Yeah, and, yep. and she's uh, got that physicality to her too that mm-hmm. I think she could pull this off. So uh, so that's Rambo. Who's she squaring off against? Marge so, Gunderson. Well, Teasel is the main antagonist in this film, and that was Brian Dennehy's yeah. character. Yeah. Uh, my Teasel in this is going to be Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. Oh, nice. Or Brienne of Tarth yeah. uh, in Game of Thrones and Captain Phasma in the uh, Star Wars movies. Talk about like physicality. First mm-hmm. of all, she's Chris's future girlfriend. Yeah. She's like 6'3", Absolutely. model beautiful, but still physically imposing. Yeah. Uh, so I think she'd be a great person to go up you imagine those scenes between the two oh of them. i know uh my colonel troutman uh who's the richard krennic character uh is going to be linda hamilton there you go oh nice the one that's got like experience with rambo yep. and okay yeah. yeah she was uh rambo's former captain and everything or leader in the vietnam war and definitely has some like toughness behind her yeah, absolutely now those are the three main characters i'll run down a few of the the rest of them are Interesting, but not essential to the plot. So Art Galt is the sadistic guy that the state trooper that eventually tries to kill Rambo from the helicopter. Mm-hmm. That's going to be Tilda Swinton, ooh, uh, who can definitely play. You're basically you know, casting crazy. all the badass women Hollywood has. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the Kern character is the state trooper that sass, sasses Troutman. Uh, is going to be Lucy Lawless, ooh. Um, Mitch is the one that's scared of Rambo. That was David Caruso's character in oh, First yeah, Blood. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's going to be Kobe Smulders. Oh, oh nice. Uh, Oval is the one that's all like gung-ho and trying to get, you know, go after him and try to kill him. That's going to be Michelle Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest of the cast to round it out, Balford is going to be Gina Carano. Yeah. Um, Lester is going to be Naomi Harris. Sign me up for this movie. From 28 Days Later in the Pirates yeah. movies. And then Ward, uh, one of the, I think the first ones to die is going to be Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, well, that's all. Oh, my God. You're going <laughs> to kill off Carrie Ann, huh? also forget that Naomi Harris is nominated for an Oscar as well for Moonlight this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that is a tremendous cast. <laughs> I would watch that immediately. Doesn't that sound fun as hell? Go, they, out, go yeah. out and shoot that in a backyard somewhere. <laughs> Make that a 24-hour film. I would watch it. Let's get that shit on... Uh, <laughs> Kickstarter. Yeah. Like yeah. Rufio. Did you see Rufio got <laughs> did a Kickstarter? Oh yeah. To make a short film version. He tried to oh, raise that's right. thirty thousand. He raised it. So now they're trying to raise two hundred oh, to make a feature film version. And I saw somebody on Reddit today was like, doesn't he need to get Amblin's permission before he does this like because that character was created for that well, movie. you would yeah. think i mean the, i mean i think it was um there was, was there a there was a kickstarter that tried to do some sort of doctor who thing i oh, think yeah? There's, I may be getting two stories mixed up here. I know that Community had a Doctor Who parody on it, but they weren't allowed to say anything close to Doctor Who <laughs> during it. But I think somebody actually tried to make a Doctor Who Kickstarter of some sort. They didn't say it was Doctor Who, but it was the same sort of thing. They you know, traveled in the same type of vehicle, <laughs> all this other type of stuff. <laughs> And it was on, I think they had some episodes on YouTube or something too. Like that everybody liked them. And they said, yeah, let's do this. But uh, Doctor Who people came in and said, nope, you can't, can't <laughs> yeah. do this. Can't, you can't just do everything like that. Yep. Yeah. 
All right, is it my turn? Yep. All right, so I was three quarters of the way through my recasting gender swap list before I noticed the question said your favorite movie. <laughs> now, I still lucked out because I did The Martian, which is my current favorite movie, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even though my all-time favorite is The Matrix, mm -hmm. and I would also love to gender swap The Matrix, but I don't like doing work twice. <laughs> so I did The Martian, and uh, right off the bat, you know, you need a good lead. You need somebody of Matt Damon's quality that can pull off emotion, can be smart, can be sarcastic and mm -hmm. witty. And so I'm doubling you up with the Anna Kendrick casting. Oh, oh yeah. I feel like yeah. she's the right age. I feel like she can play somebody who's super smart and somebody who's really a sarcastic asshole. Mm -hmm. now, you read the book. He's even more sarcastic and hilarious in the book than yeah. he is in the movie. Um, all right. So Captain Lewis, uh, which was Jessica Chastain, Picking another redhead, going with Damian Lewis, our boy oh, from nice. Nice. <laughs> Band of Brothers, and now on Billions, uh, yeah. was in Homebound, yeah. Homebound, Homeward, Home Homeland, Homeland, Homebound, Homeward, Homeland, <laughs> Homeward Bound, the Claire Dane story. And on the short-lived uh, series Life that I really liked, but it oh, got yeah, canceled. Oh, yeah, I heard he was great in it. Yeah. Um, Vogel, the German that builds the bomb on the spaceship, I'm going with Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Oh, nice. Because she's pretty. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she could maybe do a German accent. Yeah. yeah. Even if not, she's getting cast. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, no, that's not. I'm, I'm wrong. Vogel is Numi Rapace. Ooh. Ah, Beck, nice. Uh, which is the, the guy that gets kissed on his thing by Kate Mara. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Oh, okay. Bucky. Yeah. Johansson, <laughs> who is Kate Mara, is going to be Jesse Plummins. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, Jesse, where'd you come up with Jesse Plymouth? I don't know. I got <laughs> That's <Jesse>. awesome. <laughs> I think it's the Matt Damon connection because yeah. he looks so much yeah. like Matt Damon. Um, so, Teddy, the head of NASA, which is uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels, and it's going to be Jodie Foster. Yeah. Oh, nice. I feel like that's the same kind of caliber. Uh, Annie, the press secretary, which is Kristen Wiig. I'm going to make that Ed Helms. Just go yeah. back to the comedy nice. well. Yeah. Um, Sorry, there's a lot of people in this movie. Vincent Kapoor, Chiwetel yeah. Ejiofor. How did he say his name? It's Chiwetel Ejiofor. That, what he said. <laughs> That's going to be, this is reaching way back, uh, Navi Rawat. Yeah. Uh, who yeah, was yeah. on Numbers and was in that Project Greenlight she movie. She was on the OC for a bit. Oh, I didn't oh, know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm, she um, was uh, trying to stay true to these ethnicities here, right? Mm -hmm. And she's of Indian descent, even though I don't think Chiwetel is. <laughs> Um, Mitch, mission commander, um, that's Sean Bean, mm -hmm. who says, because it's a secret mating. Yes. <laughs> I'm giving that to Margot Martindale. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bad mom villain on season two of Justified. Yeah. I think she has the right attitude. You got to... a million character actress credits. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. Uh, Mindy Park, which is the Mackenzie Davis character I give to Jim Parsons. Yeah. That's just my go-to male nerd <laughs> right, casting. Right. Um, Rich Purnell, Donald Glover. I'm giving that to Rosario Dawson, yeah. another person that you like a lot. Ooh, Love nice. Rosario Dawson. And then Bruce, the head of the JPL, I give to Lucy Liu. Yeah. Oh. I like I like all of those choices. I would watch that. Yeah, I, totally. I would watch yeah. It. You know, it's crazy how much you can make a movie new by just doing that. Yeah. And I want to see it all of a sudden, even though I'm totally against remakes. Well, <laughs> you can see the difference between something like this, where you put a lot of thought into it, than Ocean's 8 or the Ghostbusters yeah, stuff, you know? Right. I mean, not to say that all these would be perfect perfect but you can see the good ideas in there, mm, yeah. You know? yeah yeah another question here i just watched kubo and the two strings and realized that it was travis knight's directorial debut and it was definitely my favorite animated film of 2016 which is saying something because there were a lot of animated it's movies stacked. i still need to see it 
Uh, it's great. Um, so I was wondering if you guys knew of any other examples of outstanding first projects by directors. And he's in luck because we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have too many, actually. Yes, yeah. exactly. You want to go first? Well, I will go first. I'm afraid because I'm going off my list that I emailed you guys uh, because I just realized Gone Baby Gone is the only answer I can give for this. Ben Affleck. <laughs> mm. uh, now, he had enough Hollywood experience. This isn't quite what you're the question almost suggests an unknown director's first movie is really really great and huge but um affleck goes i'm gonna direct a movie oh yeah oh yeah are you a big actor guy and then he makes fucking that movie yeah and, yeah. Every, and he drops the mic right <laughs> and everyone's like oh shit dude can direct yeah uh and i also had written down damien chazelle with whiplash yeah wow. yeah you can't go wrong with either of those i'm gonna man i gotta go with the classic and it's orson welles doing citizen Kane. Yeah. oh yeah um, I briefly considered Sam Mendes for this, um, for American Beauty. Oh, good call. Because that is a great, great movie. But Citizen Kane, man, to, to throw your nuts on the table with that, um, yeah. heretofore never seen with techniques that they, I mean, the guy just was bigger than and he life. he was like 26, right? Like, oh, yeah. he was so young. He, yeah. he, it was an acting tour de force. It was a directing tour de force. And he just announced himself and said, Absolutely. fuck y'all. I'm here. To the You're point have to where he almost had to have known on like almost a borderline delusional level. I'm this good. Yeah. To be able to do that at that age. Yeah. I mean, he had to know he had talent. Now, it was scope. It's crazy. The thing about Orson Welles, though, is that he had a lot of uh, experience directing plays and mm -hmm. radio dramas before. Uh, and, and the age of 26. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Long career. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's just it's kind of like that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour thing, which is bullshit. But the, the 10,000 mm -hmm. hour thing. You know the you know you work so much on these projects and you do a lot probably he probably did a lot of fast like let's get him out and get him done type of stuff and everything you know to to he probably went into that movie going why not why yeah. shouldn't we be able to do stuff like this it seems like to me you could get the camera and start moving it this way like take the floorboards out make yeah. people look taller and I go know, through maybe the it was that youth that gave him that ballsy absolutely like he was just naive enough to not be held in check by mm -hmm. conventional logic in hollywood at the time that's why you can't make a good rock and roll record after you're 40 yeah. you know i mean because you don't have that youthful fire that's a good and that point. kind of thing mm -hmm. you know you, you really gotta shoot for the moon on that first one sometimes it doesn't work out but sometimes if you have that combination of somewhat delusional like uh grandiosity mm -hmm. and talent if that comes together you get something like citizen kane hmm. yeah um all right so it's funny because at first when uh, I thought about this question, I was thinking possibly Christopher Nolan for Memento, mm -hmm. but that's not his debut. Um, wow. They, they debut was the, it was called following and, uh, and it's a good movie. It's like an hour and nine minutes. It's like a game of Thrones length episode. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, do you count that as his debut mm. or do you count his big studio breakout with Memento as his debut? This following is kind of a you know it, it's got that 90s indie uh we're just trying things out here and i'm pretty sure he was very young too when that movie when he made that movie um i actually recently saw following and it and it's you know it's weird because it's not a movie that like just comes out and says this is the guy that's gonna make inception and dark knight and prestige and mm -hmm. all these movies um uh, I think Memento is closer to that than anything, and it feels more like his debut than that movie. 
So if we were going to go on some weird arcane rules here, Nolan's Memento would be a yep. great choice, but it's not technically his first movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he's disqualified in some way, unless you think following is that kind of a dynamic. DQ. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to I'm going to say Darren Aronofsky for Pie. Oh, good oh call. yes, I uh, love that movie. I do too, and I used to watch it all the time. And uh, it's just one of those that sort of announces I'm here type of movies. You know, the editing on this, the you know the you know all that you know that stuff that he did the pu- the pill popping and getting ready for you know all that. And just the, you, it really gets into that diseased, obsessed mind really well. Um, you can, you can sort of get caught up in it yourself. Like the, you know, the, all the different places of pie that there are. And he, this guy can go through them all and everything. And he's just got all these figures going through his head. Movie is balls to the wall crazy. Yes, it is. And, and it, and it, it's a prelude to his Requiem for a Dream. And he goes even further on that, but uh, but I think Pie is the one for me. That's a good call. Oh man, I like that pick. That's a, that's a movie that's almost lost to time. People don't talk about it very no, often. They really don't. But it's a it it was a staggering debut. I saw that in the theater when it came out, and I'd never seen anything mm-hmm. like that, especially the end. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well. Uh, that's going to be it for this uh, Sincast. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts. We got great feedback in this uh, bracket challenge. Uh, people were saying that that was one of our best episodes ever. That's great to hear. Thank you so much. Um, if you got problems with our picks or our seatings or anything like that, go to SoundCloud. Let us know uh, politely if you want to, angrily if you want to. It's cool. We'll Just go. imagine if this was greeted as a bad idea <laughs> we screwed yeah <laughs> we could change gears pretty quick if it was yeah we would have been like well apparently yeah. none of you like that idea <laughs> just run through the winners in like 30 minutes yeah exactly yeah was well, probably what we would have done <laughs> right well this is how it would have happened by oj simpson and uh so uh but anyway that'll be it for the syncast this week it's chris atkins and jeremy's got and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. And for Anna Kendrick fans out there, if this were to be made, and if it was a shot-for-shot gender swap remake, that means you get to see your butt. <laughs> yeah. Maybe cut that part out. <laughs> Maybe some things come out of my mouth before the filter kicks in. Because uh, you see Matt Damon's butt in yeah. that movie. Well, you all you have to do is say Anna Kendrick's in this movie and I'm watching it. And you're already thinking about her butt. That's right. Yeah. So you didn't know Fucking G.E. Smith. Oh, wow. From the Saturday Night Live <laughs> band? <laughs> it was my favorite fucking guitarist. Like every time, because he was so cool, man. Yeah. Every time he was on there, he was just ripping it. And every Christmas season, he'd do Jingle Bell Rock at least once. Yeah. Which is the most unrockingest song ever. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell. I have a cramp in my foot, motherfucker. There's a snake in my boot. There's a snake. Somebody pulled my string. There's a cramp in my foot. Catherine Waterston, am I right? I don't know who she is. Oh, you got am her right there. Am I right? <laughs> who Catherine she is? Waterston? Uh, she was in Inherent Vice, and she was in the Steve Jobs movie as Steve Jobs' wife that kept coming asking oh, for money. Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God.
She's pretty pretty. She is Sam Watterson's daughter. Ah, that's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's ugly, but he she kind of looks like him though. Like there, even though she's very yeah, pretty, I could see that. Yeah, there's there's some very Sam Watterson stuff in her. She probably doesn't want to hear that. Probably not. What was she in this year or this last year? Uh, the uh, yeah, it was Fantastic Beasts. Oh yeah, and where to find them? God, what a fucking waste! Fantastic Beasts of No Nation. <laughs> That's what we should do. Some- Fantastic Beasts of No Nation of the Southern Wild. Okay, so this can be an outtake. Mm-hmm. So Frank Kemp from Twitter, yeah, mm-hmm. fan of the show, mm-hmm. tweets a lot. Mm-hmm. Made this for us mm-hmm. and oh, sent yeah. it to me. Oh, I had to cheat and tell him before the episode went live what had won in 2016. Ah, and he sent two other things here that I think are additional gifts that would be cool enough on their own. Mm-hmm. So we have like a Spider-Man two poster. Ooh, cool. I'm sure, this is a Tropic Thunder poster. Ooh, because he knows we like those movies. I guess he didn't actually explain those two. Oh, this um, is the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, nice. okay, even better. Cinema Sins history right here. Oh, uh, it is. It's the first one we ever did. Yeah, yeah, baby. And then this is what he really sent. Ah. And you'll both need to examine it closely and... Let me see if I can uh, do this. Upside where, down. Where both of us can see this. Oh, look at this. Look at this. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so if my math is right, he's basically taken the top three from every year from the podcast and made this collage into for folks listening at home well tweet a picture or whatever but it it's a sin cast poster um and what makes it is the shit down at the bottom all the credits because he's got every guest we've ever had down there oh and it's like storyboard by jeremy simser (laughs) visual effects by aaron sims alcohol is something credited down there (laughs) written by alcohol (laughs) written by alcohol larange original music produced by a white hot rage yeah there you go (laughs) there's Uh, dude where's my cars on there (laughs) So maybe he's just taking movies he knows we love. Yeah, maybe so, because I'm goddamn sure Dude Where's My Car didn't get anywhere But like the last three on the bottom, those were the three we voted for in 2016. That's awesome. This is a really slick poster. Yeah, we should frame that, I think, and hang it somewhere. So... And the, the cats are... <laughs> That's one of my favorite things cats do is sto- shove their paw under the door and whap at what they can't see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, for those at home, up. Chris now has three kittens. Yes, I do. Not just the <clears throat> one that I tweeted about. Well, I'll tell you what. After the, um, after the trip I took where, you know, basically I only had the, you know, the one and he uh, was just getting, you know, food visits. Uh, the, it was gone for like three days. When I got back that night, that one night, that cat was just like, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> I had to like hold him for a bit because he was like, you know, he was upset. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I mean, there's, you know, the little adoption agency or whatever told me about the two brothers. I'll go ahead and get him his brother. So if I do leave next time, they have each other to, to, to play around with. Everything. My mom used they, to leave the TV on when we'd go on vacation. Oh, really? So the cat would have something, so hear human voices to hear or yep. whatever. No, yeah, that's cool. But this I'd was like that. in the 80s when, I don't know, we didn't have all the shit yeah. from today. Right. That well, makes that more... Con- we could talk about other things now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a point and it just went right out my ear. See what happens. Okay. See what happens. You know, let the chips fall where they may. Now, this is special healthy shit, man. I've been eating so shittily lately. 
that I got a kale apple kiwi smoothie. You can really here. taste the kale. Yes. <laughs> My wife made kale last night in the frying pan. Mm-mm. Was it's that good? good? Stuff. It smelled good, but I didn't eat any of it. Mm. Really? No, I had Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Can you put some fried kale on this baconator? <laughs> I did not have a baconator. You have to have something to push that through, as one of our chefs so memorably said. I yeah. love to make cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, the thing about, you know... Was it Brian Brown that was in uh, Cocktail? Yeah, I think it's. So. I think so. Brian Brown's biggest, uh, yeah, Brian Brown's biggest uh, movie was FX, yes. I believe, <laughs> with Brian Denny. With Brian Denny, <laughs> fuck Brian Denny. <laughs> That's why I gave you a weird look because I didn't know what the fuck you meant when you said cocktail. Uh, I knew it as soon as I said. Yeah, well, it, and then I was like, well, Brian Cox has been in a lot of movies. He probably wasn't cocktail. <laughs> he's in uh, his drunken bar patron one. He's in yeah. a lot of movies you don't expect. Yeah. You should just grab your mic, open the window, and just be like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait a second. I thought we talked about this. I think I hear Lois banging on something that's trapping her inside of a pool of water. <laughs> <laughs> Better go save her. Like, Any- like the whole podcast has been. Just yeah. play it by ear and see what happens.